and uh, it's I'm even at the point where I'm thinking if I lose a part of a kit you know where's that where's that road wheel gone well uh, I can just draw another one <laughs> is, you what know, you doing over there Paul be on the right trip <laughs> Trying to pour some coffee quietly. No. <laughs> um, yes, coffee. <laughs> coffee. Right, right, right. I'm leaving don't, that don't in. You, <laughs> Paul, you got you got to get up to speed. If you're a real professional podcaster, I hit use, the mute button. You, you use it. No, you if you're a real. Pro, no, you didn't. If, if you're a real, if you're a real professional podcaster, you use a catheter. I'm just saying. <laughs> 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 That's throw me off, Chris. <laughs> Friends, the show you're about to hear may contain coarse language, progressive attitudes about scale modeling, and in-depth discussion of technique and concept. If this is not your thing, then on your bike. Otherwise, please enjoy today's show while at the bench, on the drive to work, or while enjoying an adult beverage. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in again to uh, this episode of the Sprue Cutters Union, which happens to be the 24th episode. Now, we're Woo! not big into birthdays or any of that shit, but uh, we have got something a bit special for you today. So first, we have a chat with David Parker, uh, Paul Budzik, and ourselves, kind of a five-way discussion. We're getting to some good stuff in there. And then after that, we are going to have an, a very special interview for you with Alexei Belov of Proper Planes. Great news, guys. Sprue Cutters Union has a new sponsor, the Scale Modeler Supply. Let's hear from Scott right now. Hi, I'm Scott, the creator and owner of the Scale Modeler Supply, Australia's largest manufacturer of hobby paints. Our premium airbrush-ready acrylic acker paints are designed specifically for use on plastics with a comprehensive range covering all popular modeling subjects including military, aircraft, rail, auto, sci-fi and more. And not only that, but we also have a wide selection of essential hobby tools and now, Infinite Colour, and new range of water-based paints for miniatures. So to check out our range and to find your closest retailer, please visit our website at scalemodeler.com.au. So when quality matters, choose SMS Paints. Gangsters, let's talk about the details. Because I think you'll all agree, the details matter. And if you're as obsessed by detail as we are at the Sprue Cutters Union, you should be buying parts from Annas. Look, I've known Tom Annas for a while, and I can tell you that he is a man with a single-minded dedication to improving detail. Whether it's 3D printed parts like knobs, switches, connectors that you can use in cockpits, decals, braided lines for your engines and hoses, or even 3D files that you can print at home on your own 3D printer, Tom's got you covered. He's really thought this through because he's a model maker and he uses this stuff himself. 
And now, Annie's is also the European Union seller for the new book from Inside the Armor called Perfect Pits. So not only can you buy the stuff you need, you can read all about how to use it in this neat little volume that our very own Chris Meddings has produced. And it includes articles from Tom, your own Veen, and myself. And don't forget, you can get a Sprue Cutters Union exclusive discount. 15% off when you enter the code SCU at checkout. So, if the details matter as much to you as they do to us, head on over to Anyz, that's A-N-Y-Z dot I-O right now and arm yourself with everything you need for your very own perfect pit. We are celebrating, I guess, if you can call it that, our one-year thing. Uh, it feels <laughs> weird to call it an anniversary. I don't know, but really, it's hard just, to believe. We're just yeah. falling all over each other trying to trying to figure out how we made it a fucking year. That's that's a, yeah. the long and short of it. Exactly. <laughs> so we thought, we thought, well, you know, what better way to do that than have a five-way bro hug with a couple of dudes. <laughs> <laughs> couple of dudes that we totally respect and admire and who have been great I hope it's a guests. safe one. <laughs> You're so cheesy. It's my, it's my brand. It's my brand. I got to stay consistent. So anyway, welcome to both of you guys. Uh, Paul, you know, we've got the OG St. Paul Budzik, the original gangster of advanced modeling from Way back in the day, we're stoked to have you here, uh, Mr. Stop calling me. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, we're we'll we'll call you seasoned. How's that? We'll we'll call you the seasoned veteran. At, uh, and and along with the uh, always debonair and very dapper and freshly returned from a vacation, Mr. David Parker, who is uh, gangster as fuck himself. Uh, as everybody knows, the editor-in-chief of uh, the two best model-making magazines on the planet, AFE Modeler and Air Modeler. So welcome to both of you guys. This is a real privilege to have you have you in the top-secret studio headquarters of the Sprue Cutters Union. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sto- stoked and honored that you guys picked me because... I've gone back and listened to uh, about every po- well every podcast that you guys did. There's a lot of articulate, great modelers out there, so I appreciate it. Thank you. I say it's best not to go back and listen to your own ones. I find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yo, how do you think we feel? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. yeah. There's well, a lot of truth in that. I, Chris is always like. Hey, have you guys listened? I just dropped the episode, and I'm like, oh god, I have to listen to myself again. <laughs> you know, I've listened to it three times by the time it uploads. The time we did it, the time I edited it, and then again to make sure I didn't leave in my farting chair. Tracy and I, <laughs> Tracy and I, recognize that it's just misery seeking company. Yeah, <laughs> there is nothing weirder than hearing your own voice, right? Which is why we have all these uh, talented and, and articulate modelers because we need them. 
<laughs> Actually, we were saying just last episode, being serious for a moment, how much we all think we've improved because we've been talking to such great people and we've learned a lot. And it's been for us a real, you know, the best um, side effect, I suppose, benefit perhaps of, of doing yeah. the show. I mean, it's 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 so motivational, you know. It's it's really, you know, people talk about losing your mojo and you know burning out, but man, it it, it does. These conversations keep you going. They keep the brain sparking, and and like I've said before multiple times, you just you just look at your own work differently after having these conversations with these people. It's it's not every day you get a chance to sit down and have a one on one, you know. Uh, over a beer in a pub or a cup of coffee or whatever but we get to do that um with extremely talented and extremely articulate and and generous people so we're learning a lot so we've said from the beginning well, it's, we're not, only... it's not that long ago that it was a uh, something that was done in total isolation mm-hmm. right you know you, you didn't you were lucky if you knew anybody locally who was interested in tiny plastic tanks let alone um that you actually sort of saw them face to face so yes yeah. Uh, yeah i mean it went from sort of the club level and then you know the internet where you sort of yeah. get to meet a lot of other people and share your similar interest and and skills and and argue and, with them yeah, yeah. <laughs> be told the you're wrong well, it <laughs> was never that color <laughs> but now well, in the did... same token they, <laughs> you could have the a phenomenal modeler living next door if you don't you right. may not know yeah. you know yeah that's very true yeah yeah it's, well, it's changed for... this from a very isolated hobby to to a much more social one for better or worse oh. yeah absolutely and the, you know in this podcast thing for us i mean we just we almost started it as as a lark. I mean, because we wanted to do something different, and we wanted the chance to to honestly, it was just like, hey, how can we hang out with our heroes? And the, you know, it's it's almost like we, I mean, we're we we love the fact that we have listeners and they're all great. But honestly, these this is the conversation that we would have amongst the three of us even if there weren't any any listeners it's just it's just been really you know neat for us to just be able to like tracy said to just kind of kind of be able to hang out mm, well i think that's why that's why it's worked really because it is just you guys being yourselves <laughs> just th- three bald idiots that's the <laughs> three bald yeah, idiots luckily. and a microphone <laughs> luckily it hasn't put too many people off yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one or two. But whatever. Yeah, it's okay. We can we, we can live without. Yeah, we can live without the ones that, <laughs> that think it's the that, that think it's too long or that we drop too many f bombs or whatever. You know, it is what it is. I mean, this is this is this. We're just doing our thing, and uh, we're grateful for the listeners for sure. But we're also just really grateful that that we've been able to get such interesting interesting people to come on and you know, tell us what's going on on their workbenches. And to be mm. fair, they're lucky that we're not doing this in a pub over a beer because <laughs> I think the, yeah. pro- the profanity could get a little bit worse, believe it or not. <laughs> well, especially that... after that last incident where you were thrown out as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that, we should, you know, we always kind of traditionally start. I mean, this is not going to be like an interview thing. We're just going to hang out and, 
and chat for a couple of hours. But we always kind of start with the, you know, what's what's happening on your workbench? What are you up to? So, David, I know you just got back from a vacation in the in the mm. tropics. Um, so uh, I don't know what's up with you, but tell us what's going on over there at the at the palatial uh, headquarters of <clears throat> AFV Modeler. Um, mild panic probably describes it best. <laughs> uh, <I've, laughs> um, I've realized how quickly a World Expo is hurtling towards me and mm-hmm. my part-finished Panzer IV is still in the same state it was a few weeks ago. Um, I think I've had that um, uh, fear of the blank canvas thing. <laughs> with the weathering and uh, I've just been tiptoeing around bits of peripheral detail and not really diving in Um, so today I've kind of tried to spend well I spent the afternoon messing around with that trying to get that going a bit more Um, but it's going to be tight as I've got a lot to do and not as much time as I thought I had really Um, serves me right for going on holiday you say um, <laughs> it probably does um, I've also got uh, something for I need to finish for the weekend for somebody else <laughs> you can say what it is uh, uh, can I? right yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't so want I've to got, though <laughs> <laughs> I've got an M60 Starship although they were never called a Starship so people could tell me um that needs to be finished for Chris. So um, he is a slave driver, isn't he? Well, no, I I lost my way with that in the middle of it, um, and it sat there glaring at me for quite a while. So the fact it's not finished is entirely my fault. Um, well, it's it is ninety nine ninety five percent finished. So. Tracy's yeah. favorite point. Now this is where you need to post pictures and say, "95 percent done." Well, yeah, <laughs> I can hold it up in front of the camera if you want to have a look. <laughs> no, Tracy's thing is, why, why, why not just wait till it's 100 percent done? <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's very close anyway. I've just got some 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 small details to finish off, and, um, but uh, yeah, not not the easiest model to build, um, and. Yeah, one that I, I don't know. I, I, I think I have to face the fact that I've probably hit a bit of a flat spot all round because you know I've been more. I've been, what's really been getting me going is three D design. That's what mm. I'm spending. That's what's really been um, uh, fascinating me, and uh, that's what's had my full attention really. And um, I've found the other side of things less. Uh, appealing and 35th scale less appealing again on top of that so um, yeah sorry (laughs) it can get it can get uh, it can get pretty addictive right yeah it gets extremely addictive I think Um, once you are there's like with all these things there's a sort of critical mass that you reach and once you've got that over that hump then suddenly there's pretty much nothing you can't do with it you know it'll do you've got control of the of the package it'll do what you want it to do uh there's the odd challenge about how am i going to create this shape or how do i do that but basically you're off then and the only thing stopping you is 
number of hours in the day and what you want to design next. So, um, uh, which is great. You know, it's a great place to be. And I'm, but it means you're always sort of you finish one thing and then you're on to the well. I'm on to the next kind of oh well, I can improve this or I can. <laughs> I know what you mean though, David. I I have a similar thing. I I only started building aircraft because I got the job at Sam. And I wasn't really that interested, but now I find myself being pulled more and more towards aircraft and thinking, hang on a minute, I'm a ship modeler and an armor modeler, what's going on? But if it's yeah. pulling you, it's pulling you, you know, it's hard to focus on other things when you want to be doing something else. We all, you know, we all have those things where, you know, the motivation, just the urge suddenly goes and you, and you, you know, or something new arrives on, you know, on your desk and you go, oh, <laughs> Now, that's shiny. something I really fancy. Yeah. yeah, there's something shiny, yeah. Well, and the, the power, of, the power of, of Fusion 360 or whatever CAD you're, taught, you're using, I mean, and especially with you, because you're using ZBrush as well now, right? No, I'm doing a bit in Blender. Um, oh, Blender, um, that's okay, yeah, yeah. But, but you're, I mean, you, you've, you've gone just way outside the standard hard surface stuff, and I know you're, a little bit, but I'm having problems with that as well. Um, yeah, I blew my computer up the other day trying to do, <laughs> trying to add welds to something in Blender, and then it, it generated a 2.3 gig file, <laughs> STL file, <laughs> which melted my print software, and then sent my computer into a into a reboot cycle of continually shutting itself down and restarting again. <laughs> so. Yeah, because I can imagine. uh, I can imagine that when you start generating welds, that the Mm. triangles, the facets get really small, which means there's a whole bunch of them, and those things can really choke your processor. So I can imagine there's probably a way of selecting just the areas that I need. Well, I know there is a way, but such is my um, incapability with that software that. I haven't worked that out, so I end up adding more um, quads to the whole thing, and then it gets enormous. Um, but I find both ZBrush and I had a license for ZBrush for a little while. Um, watched all the videos, got nowhere at all with it. Um, same with Blender. To be fair, I find the interface is about as it might as well might as well be written in Spanish, as far as I can. You've had some challenges learning ZBrush and Blender, which doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, that's that's what you hear from everybody that they're both very difficult to learn, and which is why I'm so astonished at the cool stuff you're doing. Well, I, I again, I, I really should. I want to downplay my Blender abilities. I've just got enough knowledge to achieve one particular effect I wanted it to to do. And, and that's it. When I see people sculpting figures and all this other stuff, I have no idea how that happens at all. So um, uh, it's just it's taken me half the half my experience just to work out how to mask bits so that I don't I don't create textures where I don't want them. That's been a challenge enough. So <laughs> uh, it's not the greatest. Uh, Neither of them are. I mean, considering I know ZBrush is the is the sort of market leader, isn't it? And the um, that's the one you have to pay to use, and um, it's all you know. You see some incredible work done on it, but um, again, I've just found the interface is just so 
mad. Yeah, I think everybody who uses it, it feels that way. And, and like I went to, somebody sent me a link for a video uh, on using Blender to do hard surface modeling. Mm-hmm. You know, just like this guy does a demo for a basic part. Oh, that I saw you would that, create I in, Yeah, yeah, I like, saw that. Right, you'd create it in like 10 minutes on Fusion 360. And it took the dude three times that long to explain how to do to explain, it yeah and plus plus well every everything he put in it was he was having to go back and then dimension it whereas yeah, that's automatically it was really bad was like two steps to do something that fusion's doing in one step uh and that was just adding dimensions and it was the rest of it was like that as well i thought this is and he was having to go into all of these mad sub menus again and check things that made no sense to me at all. <laughs> at least, at least with Fusion, it gives you if you don't know what you're doing, it, it gives you a little menu that a little ex- explanatory kind of bit of information there that explains it in sort of simple English, so you can go, oh, I see what you mean now. That that particular thing there does this, so you know you can kind of fumble your way through even if you're not completely proficient. So where. Uh, the sort of contrast there is that, and for those who don't understand the difference, so Fusion will do all the all the kind of hard-edged um, mechanical shapes and things beautifully um, and incredibly precisely, but it will not do things that are for more natural forms, like um, in in my case, um, weld beads on armoured vehicles. So you've got two plates joined together with a weld you need to add that weld and fusion really doesn't do that very well at all or if it does it does it incredibly kind of repetitively and um yeah it's it's very it's there's a there's a way to like i i figured out a way to make a weld bead that's just basically a stack of of coins tilted over at the right angle and you know, it looks okay, but you're right. It's it's a it's like a robot weld. It's very very precise yeah, and re- and and repetitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah which real uniform, real yeah. welding, especially on World War II armor, was just not that way. No, it's and, quite messy and and sort of and um, the other thing is as well that as as the the kind of the interface of the plates changes, the direction of the weld will change to sort of. You know, because they're welding with gravity rather than so. You you know, again, that's something where doing it sort of mechanically isn't gonna isn't gonna get you that result. So, so I've had to sort of switch over to things like um, ZBrush or or in this case Blender. Um, but they're, I mean, they're incredibly powerful bits of software. Um, I can see that, but they're also um, massively impenetrable in terms of the novice user um, and very little in the menus makes any sense and or or how you sort of get from one environment to another even is a, is a little bit confusing but um, I've managed to get a little bit of guidance and a bit of education to sort of get me to do as much as I need it to at the moment um, I would love to be able to see myself sort of digitally sculpting figures and things in the future i mean I, I think that's 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 something that looks very exciting but i've no idea how to go about doing that at all um all i can do really is is, is add these welds in um and i've got a i've now worked out a way of doing that and um first results i've had from that have been excellent 
but it is incredibly memory hungry to do that as well. So we should get you connected with J- with James Rice. Um, you know, we had him on here a few weeks back, and he's gone into ZBrush, f- you know, f- fully fully committed, and he's ridiculously talented. I mean, he can he can hand sculpt figures at a world class level using the traditional means. But he seems to be able to do it in software as well. Um, and he showed me recently some mechanical stuff that he had done in ZBrush. Uh, it was a flamethrower. So, you know, it was a backpack that had the, the rack and, and the tanks and all the valves and everything. And it was really, really good. In fact, it's the first time that I've seen something that somebody did that was a hard surface model in ZBrush where I was like, ooh, that makes me kind of jealous because uh, yeah. I would have, you know, I would have said, dude, do that in Fusion 360. But he was able to include some little dents in the tanks and, you know, some stuff that made it look, you know, super authentic. So mm. um, he'd be, you know, and he's always really willing to share knowledge. You guys should definitely connect. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see what you could do digitally considering what you already can accomplish uh, with figures um, the traditional way. Yeah, that's that's you know that that's my sort of aspiration, I suppose, really is to be able to sort of do some of the you know transfer some of those skills, um, and you know I want to do I want to do some more traditional figures as well. I've got some ideas for things I want to be sculpting, but um, I just uh, I, it just doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day at the moment to sort of do everything that I want to do and yeah. finish. Yeah. Um, big tank models as well so um it's just uh it's one of those lulls that you kind of you just run into occasionally where you know you've been staring at the same thing on your desk for so many months or years and you know enough's enough you really should go and do something different so very cool very cool all right well i we should we should uh switch over for a second uh for minutes however long <laughs> paul we want to hear from you too. What uh, kind of stuff have you got going on at the uh, at the Paul Budzik Laboratory? Well, after the uh, last time I was on, Chris hit me up for the idea of doing a book. When he first proposed it and we talked about it, I had pangs about some of my last experiences in in uh, long form writing and publishing and deadlines and. Uh, short order back and forth, he said, I want you to create a book that you would be proud to have on your shelf. And I'm kind of figuring on how to write a book on scratch building. And I drug, I took out some books that I remember from years ago. You know, I was in that first um, Alcorn master class or master scratch builders book. And he drove me nuts trying to get me into the second one. And I and I just felt bad. I was kind of not answering emails and dodging phone calls. And I'd kind of lost it for writing again. And, and so I had to go back and I looked at that book. I looked at his second book. And, the, and one book that I found most interesting when I was, you know, back in the day was a car modeling book by Gerald Wingrove. And I looked at how those books were written. And 
what I got out of it was a very almost dogmatic presentation. Here's the way we do scratch building. Alcorn was totally focused on IPMS and plastic. Wingrove had his own approach. And I remember when I got Wingrove's book, by that time, I, I think it was late 70s, and I'd already sorted out how to make a lot of stuff. So his book was like a checklist. Yep, I'm doing that. Yep, I'm doing that. The only things I could really find in there that I, I wasn't doing was he was making rubber tires, which I found that was pretty cool. And I knew how Tamiya was doing it because I had a connection with the company by then. So, it, it, but the way it was presented was, I don't know, it was, it was so confined. This is the way you do it. So I had to go back and look at why I didn't feel comfortable with it and sort of retrace my steps from the beginning. And what I found was is that I kind of got dragged into doing the military aircraft stuff because what I was trying to do was create something for the magazines that was more topical. You know, it's like going to an IPMS show with a vehicle. Nobody gives a crap about it. <laughs> you know, it's, that's that's it's why like they... you guys even make fun of it on the on critique group. You know, oh, it's just a car modeler. That's why they call it the International Plane Modeling Society. Yeah, well, I say, yeah, <laughs> bullshit on that. When I, when I really got into 12th scale... All those parts, if you look at that McLaren uh, picture that I sent you about the engine bay, those parts Amen. are all individual. That's the only way you can make that stuff look the way it is. New, but real. There's no putting it all together and then painting it later. They're all painted and they're pinned. So after they're painted, they're pushed to fit. There's some springs on the end of those injector slides, that's really fine wire wound around like 14,000s wire. That, those are real springs, but you can't see it in the image. At the, if you look at the end of the, the manifold that holds the injectors, there's a couple of brackets with things that look like just little black lines. Those are real springs. And and after finishing this project, not only did Tamiya didn't like me anymore because they said there's <laughs> nothing left of our model, I, I realized I could pretty much create anything I wanted. But the idea was is, is, to, is to have aircraft modelers go, I don't have to stay with this kit. The world's wide open. I mm. I can do whatever I want. It wasn't to show necessarily what I could do. I'm just trying to get people fired up to to use the methods that other modeling um, subjects use. You know, there's a picture in there of of a basic. Uh, railroad passenger car. And and that's how I cut my teeth. I was really a model railroader. That's what fascinated me. And I re remember when I made the transition from 
plastic because I'd read the magazines and I knew all the real guys were working in brass and wood. And I went and I was fascinated by the Santa Fe Railroad. So I went to my local train shop and he told me, well, you're not going to get a Santa Fe car in plastic. He says, it's specific. He said, you need to use this. So he handed me this kit and I opened up the box and I go, what the hell? There's just <laughs> some pieces of wood and what's these metal and this cheesy white metal castings? He goes, it's a craftsman kit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you a real model? <laughs> so I went home and I started working on it. Well, you didn't get trucks. You didn't get real couplers. And, and when I got through with it, it looked pretty good. So that's kind of my introduction. Well, I mean, I knew how to work with wood anyway, but I grew up doing, I mean, I, I cut my chops doing wood and brass and machining. And so I developed, like I say, I developed a way to kind of create anything. When I did that, uh, Pan Am Clipper, that model went start to finish in probably no more than nine months with no hitch. Maybe a few little projects on the side, and I had a lot of model railroad cars to paint for the layout. But not my layout, but the group that I was working with. Um but all that scribing in the alcal in the alclad, there wasn't one screw up. And by the the satisfaction of that partly was this is exactly what you envisioned. You didn't have to paint yourself into a corner and work out of it. And it all went just the way I wanted it. So then when I started working on the Tempest, it was like I'm doing the same thing again. I already got it figured out. And, and when I got to the crazy landing gear, I thought, nah, there's nothing to be gained by this. I'm not, I'm not, this is a complicated piece and, and I already know I could do it if I wanted it. But it's not doing what I really wanted. And I kind of got lost over the years. What Chris's opportunity gave me was a chance to go back and revisit all this stuff. And what I realized was, here's the art part of the whole thing as far as I'm concerned. And Tracy, this sort of kind of goes to a remark that I heard you make in the in the last um, the podcast that you guys did. And you talked about, well, you're just going to do your modeling. You're just going to breeze all through this about what we really need is an article on weathering. And that's your artistic um, outlet is, and you're, you know, an artist, you're a painter. For me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a machinist model maker. When you scratch build, every one of those elements that you talk about in weathering is exactly what I have to decide on what I'm going to create. Hundred um, percent. You're 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 not just a you're not just a machinist though, and this is a point that I made to when we were talking to Alex Clark on our last episode. Is is you're doing sculpture? I mean, it's right. it's a mechanical thing, sure, but you're still like taking your interpretation of the real thing 
and miniaturizing it and figuring out how to form it in a way that tells the story that you want to tell. And I don't see any difference between that and what, you know, what somebody who makes a sculpture of a statue of David does. It's, I don't see any difference at all. Well, well, what, and here's, here's the thing I see when people go, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I get scratch building. I understand. No, you, no, you don't. And I didn't either. Um, this is a quick aside because I do all this audio stuff and I got into video production. I get a lot of these little YouTube perks about watch this, watch that. And I get these things about these master classes. And there's one for Yo Yo Ma. And he's, if you're not familiar with him, he's an extremely famous cellist. He was a child prodigy. He said at one point, during a concert, and his goal was always to do the perfect performance. And he realized he had done the perfect performance, but it wasn't what he wanted to do. It didn't really satisfy what his idea was. And what he decided was it was more about the emotion that he created between what he was doing and what he was giving to the audience. So in this master class, he said he's pretty much says, if you want to come here to learn how to play the cello, you're in the wrong place. We're going to be talking about something that's maybe more nebulous, that's beyond that. So when I'm looking at scratch building a subject, I want to pick out the details that I want to emphasize. And I may want to subdue or eliminate the stuff that I don't want to clutter. It's not because I can't create it. It's an artistic decision that I don't want to distract the viewer. So if you look at that, what I'm working on right now for this project, for the book that Chris and I talked about, is this layered super solution. There are no real plans for the original airplane. There's some drawings. And so you're working basically with photographs. The one replica sort of was created at the Experimental Aircraft Association is basically their recreation like the Super Solution 2. It's not really the real aircraft. So there's you can't say you got to do this exactly right. If you look at this photograph that you're posted, what is it that you see in that top image? You have no chroma. All you have is value and you have a shape. What does that shape say to you? What is it about that that would make it maybe attractive, um, powerful? There's something there. Yeah, because it's just a black and white image. I, you know, for me, I don't know what the other guys are going to say. Uh, you know, to me, that's that that top image is all about the that that thing is just all engine. It just looks like a brute. Yeah, it looks like the entire airplane was designed around the engine mm. to to get it off the ground, but stay out of the way of what that engine to is. to make the engine aerodynamic, basically. Yeah. When I start a project like this, sometimes I look around for some model. 
that at least gives me kind of a an actual 3D way to visualize it. And and I don't know if I included that, but I started the Williams kit. And what you see is this big ass radio and something to put the pilot in and barely control it. <laughs> and if you read about it, it's only because guys at the time had balls as big as bowling balls. And they got in <laughs> these things. And I mean, there's a story about um, Speed, I think it's Speed Holman. And the the predecessor to this aircraft was the solution. It was built in 21 days because some guy came up with couple of hundred bucks and gave it to Maddie Laird and said, build me an airplane. And they said, well, you can't really fly this because you don't have enough experience with Laird airplanes. And Speed has flown a number of Lairds. He showed up the day of the race when the aircraft was finished. It had never been flown. He got in it, took a test hop, said, you need to adjust the rigging flew it over to the air race and won the race. Oh, wow. I mean... That is big balls. It's those stories and, and, and the model itself. So when you look at this, what is it you see? I see a crankcase cover and push rods Ooh. and the spinning prop. I don't see the cylinder heads. So when I see someone go to extreme lengths and putting all the other stuff on cylinder heads for me that's a that's a nice exercise but it i don't and i could do it but i don't want to spend my time there because i don't I, i'm not going to hand someone a flashlight they already think i'm weird i'm not going <laughs> to give them a, a you know because i've got friends that don't do modeling so that isn't going to work. So, um, there's a. I decided to scale this thing around what I could use for cylinder heads and build all the rest of the details that I see there. I want to make sure I machine everything so those push rods look like what. They are the character of those. You're going to see those. That prop has to be machined out of metal. It's the only way I can get that look and the feel. Well, David, so you, you can make, you, yeah. you, you can relate to this, I'm sure, right? Because you're having to make the same sorts of decisions on the interior of your of your Panzer yeah, IV, I mean, right? Uh, I'm a little bit more. Uh, I've tried to be a bit more rigorous about the detail so that I've, tend, I've put everything in there and I've spent months, I mean, Paul will be laughing at me because I spent months building things and then, you know, they're virtually in, invisible now because other things are on top of them. And um, But I, I, I think it goes back to, to what Paul was saying about, uh, you know, that the racing car um, in that... Uh, you know things in order for it to look like what it's supposed to look like it ha all you know it kind of all has to be there 
so that's been my kind of mm. guide with it. Um, and, you know, even there's sometimes I'm doing things, I'm thinking nobody's on the finished model, nobody's going to see this because it's underneath a bit that's going to be fixed in place. And But something makes me do it because I want to know it's all there. You know, it's uh, it needs to satisfy that creative driving me to put it all in and make it as accurate as I can possibly make it. And even if that means going back and ripping something out because it's not right or it's I'm uh, getting more, more information that tells me I've put the wrong thing in, then then that's what I'll do, even if it's really... Uh, there's been one or two things where I thought I'm going to risk ruining the whole thing here by trying to fix this. Um for yeah. slimmer besser rugging, we call it. The only the only area I didn't do that on um, was, and I've, I had, I did confess at the time this is what I'd done, but I realised that I always pick a subject vehicle to to model. I don't just it's not a generic sort of this is a t- typical tank. It's a particular tank, and mm. um, I thought early on I'd established exactly what it was and when it was made and, and all this sort of thing. And then I've discovered later on that probably I was wrong. And the rear the rear section of the, the, the whole floor went from being sloping upwards to being flat, I think mainly just to simplify production. And, of course, mine had the wrong one. But it would have meant cutting out the whole, um, the whole rear... F- sort of a couple of centimetres of the rear of the hull and with all sorts of implications for the interior detail and the thing that really put me off was just the thought of all the little bits of sawn plastic that would end up in the engine bay um, that I would then have to try and extricate Hmm. and I thought no so I I fixed it externally but inside it's wrong Um, but unless you know and unless you're really looking hard you can't see it so it's all right. No one will. No one will know. Well, as I said in my article, I said, <laughs> "We we shall never talk of this again." That's, that's <laughs> well. Then he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have put it in print. No, I shouldn't have. Thing. No, I shouldn't have. <laughs> but but that's that again. I think is something where you should because you should just you know. I could have said nothing about it and uh, nobody being yeah, any the wiser. Yeah, but I think it's you know. Uh, I think it's important to point out that you know, model making is or. I think model making is as much about making mistakes and correcting them as it is just about having, you yeah. know, the flawless techniques that you just bring to bear on something, you know, full force of your creative skill down on, on some particular part that you want to model. And then it just happens. It doesn't. Sometimes sometimes you have two, two or three goes, especially if you're scratch building it, you know, and it doesn't. You know, I've built things that I've looked at. I thought, that's too big. Yeah. You know, I've got the I've misjudged the size of that. I'm going to have to do it again. Um, you know, it's so it's, it, and I think, I think if people just get that impression that it's all just you know effortless and and sort of magic wand waving, um, that it does it gives a false expectation. You know, and I, I remember you know reading Valinden's articles when I was a boy and it's kind of just couldn't correlate how he got from what I had to what he had you know there seemed to be some sort of mysterious process but even though he's describing what he was doing I just couldn't quite get it um, and I think just you know breaking down some of those kind of barriers a little bit is, is, is no bad thing you know um, 
we all make mistakes, we all drop things, you know, and we all break things, you know. So, and I and I and I didn't mean to say that when I built that clipper, there. No, I wasn't. I, I didn't. Re- I didn't. I didn't take it that way, Paul. I didn't mean. I wasn't. Um, uh, uh, you know, and I I completely yeah. get what you say about modeling all the cylinder heads when they when they won't be seen. I mean, it kind of brings up what I was going to say, which is, I mean, there's there's different uh, things that motivate you and different things that that um, that it's kind of like what Paul was saying. Like, if you know you can do it, some people don't want to do it again. If you know you can do it, other people, oh, good. That's 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 where I start from now on to move to the next thing. Yeah. But what I was going to say about, I think I, I'm going to speak kind of what, for what I feel uh, is going on with, with David's work is, is there a bit of social responsibility whenever you're building something that's in the public eye that is an example of a specific thing. It, it just doesn't sit well with you if it's not accurate. Like if you're, if you're putting a lot of effort into something and you're not making it accurate, then you're kind of, wasting time yeah you know? no i i feel that like i see i see people spending a lot of time you know um like this drives me nuts because um all the new panzer four models with all the interior that the, these various companies have produced and they've all put these color guides in <coughs> for the interior and they're all wrong basically in one way or another uh and uh, of course, everybody uses them to paint their models, so then their models are wrong. And if you, uh, I, on one occasion, I, I thought, well, I think I said to said to somebody, you know, you may not be bothered, but if you are, then you know that floor is a different colour, you know. And, and it, <laughs> I got the the reply back was, no, I'm just, I don't, I don't, I don't care. But then why, you know. Knowledge is power in that situation, isn't it? You either, you know, if you if you don't care, then why are you sticking the turret on the right way up as well? You know, because right, <laughs> you know. But and and if you if you if you're doing something as high profile as that, and you know it's going to be all over the internet, then it's going to be held up as the example of what's right. So why not make it right? It's already going to be evidence for somebody else's argument. Yeah. You know, like if you had said something about the floor being the wrong color and the, that modeler had shown you 15 people's models where they followed the color guideline and the, oh. and the call outs of the kit. And they're like, well, maybe you're wrong and all these people are right. Yeah, like, well, that, that's no, that's what annoys me so much, because now that that information is out there as kind of modeling law, like, you know, that all these things had this color floor, um, whereas... <sighs> You know, I had the information that contradicts that from from studying the real vehicle, um, and uh, all these. You know, that, that's that's what annoys me when when information like that is put out there that's that's so wrong because then everybody just that's the point of the, the that's the easiest point of reference for people so that they they look no further than the instruction sheet, and so it then perpetuates that whole thing so forever and ever uh panzer fours will have white white floors you know because of because of these kits but i mean you get to a certain point where you know you're you clip off the kit part and you're about to glue it maybe in not quite the right place and it's not quite the right shape and you just you have to ask yourself what the fuck am i doing like 
this is not right. And this is going to go up on the internet and it's going to be what is considered right forever. You, you kind of, if you're going to that level on something, I think for me as a modeler, I think for David as a modeler, like I, I model real things. I model them as accurately as I can. Yeah. And I feel a sense of social responsibility because I'm building in some cases, things I've never seen anybody else build a model of. So perhaps my model is going to be the only thing that comes up whenever you type any type in your search. Yeah. So I want that model to be as accurate as possible for everybody who's wants to build one like it yeah. or just wants to know what it looks like. Yeah. Like I feel a sense of social responsibility to, to be as accurate as I can. Yeah. I kind of disagree with that because I don't, I don't want it on my show. For one thing, I honestly don't think anyone should ever use a model as reference, but they do. Well, yeah, but everyone knows that other people's models are always wrong. So why would you rather use it as a reference? Uh, for another thing, though, I don't, I don't want that on me when I'm building a model. That it's up to me to make the most accurate version. I made a zero recently. Seen AFE modeler, in fact. Uh, no, it wouldn't have been because that would have been the wrong magazine. It was an air modeler, and I had someone emailing me saying, "How dare you paint it that color?" And I said, well, I was looking at this research and that research. He said, no, 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 you should be looking at this research and people are going to be using your model as a reference and you have a responsibility to get it right. No, I fucking don't. <laughs> it's a model. No, I don't I have mean, a responsibility to get it right. You don't, but it depends on the type of modeler you are. Yeah, I, for me, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not building, I'm not, I must, that's not front and centre in my thinking when I'm building the model is this, you know, because... Mm. Um, as demonstrated, those two companies who quite clearly had copied my model to make their 30 Fisco ones because they copied things that were wrong on my model, mm-hmm. um, but then paid no heed to the, the colours uh, I'd used. But that's not what I'm. That's not what I was. What's front, what drives me to do that is my own personal. Um, what is it? Fascination with with. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I want I want it to be as accurate as I can make it, and and as and as good as I can make it. The other things spin off from that as a kind of, you know, that's a, that's a then that's that's a plus point. But it's not the, um, it's not what's kind of driving my my way of working. You know, I I don't let myself off. So the thing I between these couple of comments that I want to throw out, and my wife's been real after me for this because I've been bouncing a lot of this stuff off of her. I have to be careful to put it out there that I am not saying that my way is the way. What David wants to do is right. I mean, if, if that's what gives you, keeps you going, if that's what turns your crank, Mm. you need to do it. All I'm saying is, is that I got lost on my way. And thanks to Chris, I'm being tugged back into what the way it started and what kept me going. And, you know, it, it's, it's my way. It, I am not passing judgment. None of this you're not a modeler. You're not a whatever. <laughs> that 
that is not at all what what I'm saying. Chris touched on this when he said there's got to be a better way. He may not even want to publish it because this is going to yeah. be my approach. Oh, he's going to want to publish it. And the last page of this is going to be, here's a blank page. What's your approach? Because mine's not gospel. I'm not paying that printer to print no blank page. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it'll have a, it'll I'm have kidding, a, I'm kidding. a little thing on the top. <laughs> it'll charge me you for that, you know. take what skills you have, maybe where you want to go, put it all together, you know, and create what you can. This model's going to be made, the fuselage is going to be sculpted out of clay with a plastic cross-sectional, all the cross-sections to give me a guide. But I've done it before. I sculpt for a living. That's what I do as a prosthodontist. I like it. I'm comfortable with it. I like spending my time that way. I have realized that I don't feel comfortable producing stuff for YouTube. I don't. I have to get back to creating what I want to create. And I like, there's a, and I don't think he's like anything profound, but there is a line out of a James Taylor song that is, the secret to life is enjoying the passage of time. And if you like sitting at the bench doing this, you're success. If you like designing it on the computer, you're a success. Absolutely. Not what I, should, I want to do, but that's got I nothing say, to do with it. The reason I asked you to do the book, I didn't want a book that said, I don't really, whenever I ask someone to do a book, this isn't what I'm asking them for. I don't want them to do a book saying, this is how you do it, like a recipe book. This is how you do it. This is your instructions right. on how to be a modeler. What I want is a book, a personal book, that's about the person that you know what you do and how you do it one thing i don't like about the internet is i feel it homogenizes modeling that it kind of funnels everyone to do the same thing the same way and i like the fact that you and david have got very different approaches and i like the fact that we need more of that we need more plurality of how people model and i worry that um, a lot of modelers come in and think they see uh stuff and they think i'm being this is how you do it. You hear it a lot. People saying, oh, I'm not a real modeler because I don't do the weathering. And it's like, well, no, that's something you've kind of inferred from the fact other people do it. You can be any kind of modeler you want just because other people are doing it. But because we tend to watch each other and, and pick things up from each other and adopt it, it does tend to slowly, it's like a black hole sucking everything in towards it. And it's not a bad thing, I guess, but it's nice to see different approaches and different things. Although, Something both of you have said to me in the past, which I really, uh, you know, relate to as well, is that you've said that it's um, that modelling is a, a mental pursuit. That it's scratch building in particular is a mental discipline. It's not about how you wrangle plastic, and it's not about how you do this. It's about how you think about what you do. It's about your problem solving, and it's that mental freedom that you can do. Like you said, Paul, you can do anything you want. That's why scratch building is great. It teaches you that if you want to make something, you can just do it. You just got to figure out how you do it. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. true. 
Well, spe- speaking of of how to do things, I want to. There's a question I want to ask you, but but to the point that we're talking about, I know you guys may think that you have different approaches, and maybe you do. But when I see when I look at pictures of the inside of David's Panzer, and I see the decisions that he's made about what to show, and and you know. The, the emphasis on certain mechanical systems or whatever you want to call it. And then I, Paul, I look at your picture of the McLaren, you know, that, that photo. And I want to bring that photo back up because uh, that, you know, David, you were talking earlier about being inspired by Verlinden. That photo of Paul's McLaren is one of the first things I remember as a boy, as a model maker, you know, seeing in fine scale modeler that made me go, oh, holy shit. There's a whole world of yeah, model making yeah. that I have no idea about. Oh, absolutely. That's that speaks to me that totally when I, you know that's that could be my Panzer IV engine bay. It's the it's it's cleaner because mine's a tank and this is a racing car. Yeah. So it it does but but yeah, it's the same thing. It's 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 the same components in a slightly different order. You guys you guys clearly love mechanical systems and the the fine details. And this kind of goes back to like Paul's thing about making artistic decisions. Like Paul, I re- like when I look at your uh, at your red and blue AN fittings, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't you didn't just you know satisfy yourself with a little hex and a little piece of tubing. You've got the the, the retention grooves in there. You've got the the radii on the the edges of the of the hex fitting. I mean, it's real. Like you've basically miniaturized the real thing. And to me, that's like when David creates a perfectly detailed uh, tool clamp using Fusion three hundred and sixty. The the little details that you guys pay attention to, to me, speak to a love of those systems. And those are artistic decisions, the same as when Tracy decides. You know what's the right color to paint the wheels on right. on his on his stug? It's just it's just a different level. It's just a different kind of artistic expression, and and so I don't think that you guys are really that different. Is what I'm trying to say. Well, and 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 the other thing is, it's a bit scale specific, and you get this from like model railroading is really it's uh, really evident if you look. At an end scale layout, it's like a Google worldview. If you look at an HO scale layout, you're going to see part of the train, probably not the whole train. If you look at an O gauge, you're going to be focused in on an individual car or a locomotive. So if you're working in a big scale like what David's doing the tank, hell, I'd be doing every detail too. Because that's the fascination. Yeah, that's, that's that's what that's what gets me about it. That that so, that scale allows allows me to do not only the just the kind of the detail, but also you get into things like surface finish and texture and like leather leather cushions on on the seats and the, and the the canvas bags and the the oil stains and all these. You know, it's it becomes a whole a whole different different thing. Um, and and that for me is it. That's why I find myself moving away from 35th scale and moving more continually to 16th scale. 
because the the opportunities that gives you for detail and for creativity in that in that respect is so much greater you know and a kind of maybe i don't know you get to a point and perhaps i've reached that point where you know i know i can pick any 30 fisco tank kit off the shelf and make a good job of it but reasonably happy with the end result but then do I want to keep doing that or do I want to do, you know, something different? And I find at the moment bigger scale is, is more of a challenge. You know, and uh, it's not like 35th scale in so many ways. And um, it pre- presents a whole different sort of spectrum of, of sort of challenges and, and levels of detail and things. And and uh, I think that's probably why I'm, I'm drifting in that direction. Um and, but that's a bit of it. The, just real quickly, Paul, the McLaren is 120th, right? No, it's 112. 112. That's even bigger than mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. yeah, but it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You heard it. You heard it right that's here, That's going to be the bit you use at the beginning, isn't it? <laughs> it very much could be. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, these are shit pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I I sent a letter off to um Teddy Mayer and I said um hey listen I know the car was painted uh day glow I mean it was a day glow red but exactly what was the color and I'd already been in, around Formula 1 for a little bit and the next thing I know I get a letter from Bobby Tyrrell and he says, stop production right away. We have to talk about royalties. And I said, whoa, this is a one-off. And um, so and once, once he understood what it was, then I got a letter back from Teddy Mayer who said, oh, I, we, sorry for the delay. We were testing in Harama. And here's some samples because a lot of that stuff is sticker stuff. And here's what the color is. So, you know, you didn't have a choice. I got Formula One people. I got Tamiya breathing down my neck. But it, And it was fun at the time because I'm around the track. But at a certain point, if, if it becomes I have to do it because of something else other than me, I'm not going to do it anymore. It has to be what I want to do. I, I, I've kind of got to draw the line. I don't have enough time to do other people's stuff that I'm not interested in creating. Well, I wanted to bring something yeah. up real quick. That, that so, I know because I've been following David's build of the Panzer IV, and he mentions uh, how the larger scale gives more of an opportunity to to uh, to really start to emphasize textures and things like that. And he mentioned uh, the leather seat. And it was, it's one of those moments for me, whenever I saw that, the first thing I saw, whenever I saw the photo was the texture of the leather on the seat. And I was like, well, how the fuck did he do that? That's awesome. And then, you know, I read the, the caption and it said, he sprayed the, uh, the Mr. Surfacer from, uh, from a distance enough that it built up a texture. And, and I thought to myself, you know, there's certain things that the two of you guys 
along the paths that you've taken where you've done something and you just have to step back and feel pretty fucking clever. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's just things that when you pull it off, you have, like, I picture David just kind of like smiling whenever you saw that and just like, yeah, I pulled that shit off. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Occasionally. Yeah. 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 And and it's got to be such a great feeling. We talk about like how, you know, the minutia of the detail and like, you know, problem solving and things like that but there's little moments where it's just like little little bits of joy when you pulled something off uh to your own satisfaction that, that you got the it's got to please you you know oh definitely that's the whole motivation yeah. that's what you know that is the whole thing and and i've almost got a mental image in my head of what i'm what i what it's going to look like when it's finished so and every every step along the way that brings me closer to that and that, that works to the way I saw it in my mind is a moment of, of, of triumph, you know, and that's what keeps the project rolling because that's, that's another little success on that, on that route. And if it's not working, then, you know, I find it very hard to walk away from the bench if I've got something I'm not completely happy with. It just drives me mad. I mean, I get the feeling every time I design something and it press fits together like it's supposed to. Because you got one shot. And if it's a thousand size over and you press that bolt in place and it stays there, (laughs) I'm going, you're good. And so... (laughs) Does it happen that way? I usually have the 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 opposite experience, which is, why the hell is that not fitting? <laughs> I think actually that goes back to something you said earlier, David, about um, uh, having to do something several times sometimes. And when Tracy said social responsibility, that's the social responsibility for me. Letting people know that, you know, quite a lot of the times you think this is going to be awesome, this is going to be awesome, and you put it in place and think, yeah. fuck, it doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah. Or like you said earlier, you know, it looks great in your hand and the other bit looked great in your hand, put them together and they're different scales and you think, oh, Christ. Uh, and to tell people that happens, they don't think I could never do that. They think, oh, okay, so it's trial yeah, and error a I've lot I've had times, people come you know? up to me and say, you know, what I really enjoyed about that series of articles was the fact that you put the mistakes in as well. It yeah. wasn't all just, you know, plain sailing yeah. because it makes me realize that when I'm doing it and then something goes wrong that, uh, you know, I'm doing it in a way I'm doing it right because, you know, often it is a series of little mistakes or, or uh, something that may not work as well as you want it to the first time. Um, so you go back and you, you have another shot and usually the, because you, you learn along the way. So the next one you make, you, you make it a lot quicker and it's probably better than the first one you made. Um, you know, and... Mm-hmm. Well, I always say when you're making something, you're making it for the first time, and usually you need to practice it a couple of times before yeah. you do it well. I mean, we're all stumbling towards the finish line, aren't we? Yeah. Well, I bloody hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Me, most of all. Seven years and counting, I bloody hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you... You've got the uh, added pressure of... of giving yourself a deadline for World Model Expo. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to be working some late nights. <laughs> well, so what's what's left? What do you what all do you have um, to do to finish well, that thing in time? It's all it's all 
<laughs> I was going to say it's all done, but it isn't all done. So I've painted the exterior, <laughs> I've put all the markings on, and I now have to kind of weather the whole oh. thing so that it looks like it should. So it's, um, you know, it's a vehicle that was manufactured um, probably in December 43, and then it's photographed in action in June of the following year. So it's six months old, if that. But, you know, it's got some bits knocked off it. It's got some bent bits. and um, But, you know, it's not going to be pristine, but nor is it going to be scuffed and all that sort of thing. But it's a, a vehicle operating in summertime, so it's quite dusty and... The, it's got mud on the suspension, but not kind of, it's all dried and sort of sitting on top of bits and pieces. But uh, I've just had that kind of block about cracking on with it, getting over that. It's like, a, you know, it all looks great because it's all camouflaged and all the, the numbers have come out nicely. And, and now I've got to make a mess of it. And <laughs> um, <laughs> I've just been doing My some oil washes on it to, this afternoon because... Because I was scared to sort of step into the, into that, and they're quite subtle, and I thought it's a good way of kind of getting over that. And I've and I've stopped because I thought this isn't. I'm wasting my time because then I'm going to go over it with an acrylic wash. You know, and it comes back to what Lester was saying. You know, the the the, the acrylics are going to give me that kind of punch I need, and I can layer them up. And you know, um, I think I think that's what I need to do. I need to. I've kind of. I've taken some of the fear factor away and now I can go back and really kind of get to grips with with with, with it. And I've also got to make it kind of tie in with the with the interior. The other thing is I haven't seen the interior for three months or something because it's all been masked up. Um, a, a, sh- a short list of very time-consuming things. Yeah. Yep. Paul, what about you? What's the next thing that... Uh, I, I know you when we looked at the pictures of the Laird Super Solution that you're building for Chris's book, um, you were kind of getting into talking about uh, you know the 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 fuselage what are you doing there just talk a little bit about how you're shaping that thing up well the there's a picture of the stock one and last weekend i spent saturday um the williams kit has some right stuff about it but if you look at the pictures I have and look at enough stuff, there's some contours that don't feel right. So I added some material here and there to get me what I what I envision. And um, so what I do now is I'm going to put in some retention stuff. Oh, there's to the left, you see that that's what I, my initial impression of this airplane. I mean, a big radio and this little plane. So anyway, I'll backfill the uh, fuselage with some stone. And then I'm going to, and you draw the outline on a piece of paper. Then you grind back a ways, put the end on the, on a piece of paper. Well, you Put it back on the profile that you drew, make a mark, draw a line to where your cross section's going, and then trace the outline of that. And then go through and you make a whole bunch of cross section. Because the 
drawings by Paul Matt only give you about six or seven stations, and they're sort of angular. And that's not what I see. If you go from the, the cowling back to the end of the canopy, if you, if you look at that picture that's under the stock one, and you look down the side, you're going to see a, a slight more oval as it transitions to a taper and then a more horizontal shape as it finishes out to the vertical stabilizer. When you look at that upper picture, you think, oh, that cowling's a piece of cake. It's just a round, you know, it's just a round cowling. But the minute you get off 90 degrees, all of a sudden it starts to look tapered. And if you look down on it, it's got a pretty hefty taper as it meets the oval. And this whole thing has to, to flow. And if it doesn't, it looks like a bunch of pieces. And if and that's what you have to convey with the model. There, when you talked about responsibility and creating something prototypical and that it would be taken as a reference, I've had that happen on several occasions, like with the P thirty eight thing that I did, the Ravel one, or the, but especially with the PBY. I, I got all kinds of letters. What plans did you use <laughs> to create this shape? It was strictly by eye and photographs and sculpting it. There weren't any. They got a three-view drawing that had no stations. And if you understand curves, and that's what I live with all day long, organic curves, there's no reference. You have to just look and look at a person's face and and you learn to be able to see symmetry, just like an auto body guy. He can look at a car and he can go, oh, that thing's been repaired. And you'll look at it and you'll go, I don't see anything. It looks fine. He can spot <laughs> it across the parking lot because he's used to looking at those shapes. I'm used to looking at curves. If I don't do 3D, but when I but I've worked from the uh, beginning of when we had IBM users groups in Corel Draw and Illustrator, and I work with what we call Bezier curves, and you guys call them splines. And you can I can work from now till I'm blue in the face trying to smooth out a curve, or draw. Um, uh, like Hulk cross-sections, and they're never going to smooth out like if I have the thing in my hand and I've got a file. Oh, that's a so hundred, can, yeah, that's a hundred percent true. I can I, you can relate look, to that. Yeah, I can look down the side of this fuselage now, and all of a sudden, I get this, I get it. I know what Maddie Laird was getting at. I get it. And I know it's going to sound like I'm mental, but you make a connection with this stuff. 
I was in on a high for days. That thing is exactly what it says to me. And for some reason, I feel like I've stepped into Maddie Laird's shoes. This is what you created. So I have to go back. I left the cowling, even though I turned it, the front's right, but I didn't know how much to taper it. And if it needed to be tapered evenly or more towards the bottom, because Matt's drawing shows a more triangular, but it doesn't work. When you actually do the fuselage that way, and you look in from the um, EAA photographs, it's a pretty even space between that portion of the cowling, I mean, of the uh, fuselage and the cowling. So I have to make something that makes sense. I can't, I can't be a slave to somebody's drawings because if you've never done it, and, and this is what I think is a naivete among a lot of people, it's in the drawing. Have you ever done a drawing? <laughs> I've done drawings. I spent how many days when I was at the IPMS convention in Washington, D.C., in the National Archives in an Aberdeen photographing an M-12 self-propelled gun. I didn't, still didn't have enough data when I got home and I drew that thing up on a drafting table because we didn't have CAD. And that's very relaxing. But you're still guessing. That's going to show up in a publication and somebody's going to read it as gospel. <laughs> if you know that, you have to look at a drawing and go, yeah, maybe. And you do your own due diligence. Go out and photograph the thing. Go out with a tape measure. Find out if it really is. Because even if the drawing was right, they may have, it may have changed a bit in the publication. My friend that does all this digital imaging and everything, if I have him blow up a plan for me, he'll go, which, which way is the important dimension? Because as it comes off that printer, the stepper motor that advances the paper is not as precise as what drives the crosshead. So I'm going to, it's going to change. And over a big drawing, it's going to change significantly. So you can't measure from that and take it as gospel. You have to use your eyeball. I don't know. That, well, I mean, it, you're, there's also so, the reality that stuff changes between the print and the manufacturing floor. And, and you can define it as precisely as you want to as an engineer, but the toolmaker may go, you know what, I need to smooth this out with the grinder because this won't, you know, this won't cut or it won't mold or, or whatever. So I know I didn't mean to cut you off, Tracy, but I, you're totally right, Paul. There is, at the end of the day, absolutism only gets you well, so The other far. thing you have to realize is, is Paul Matt's a great draftsman, but he wasn't perfect. Like his, his, pla his plans... Um, right. We're lucky to have the plans that he drew up, but that doesn't mean that the only source material you should look at are those plans. You need to compare those plans to every photo you can find of the airplane and get, like you're saying, you visually get to know the curves 
by looking at the photos and then then you'll be able to see if there's something kind of off with the drawings, you know, that that couldn't be communicated well. Or maybe he was, you know, maybe it was a rush job or, or you know, there's so many factors like you can't just use one one set of uh, plans as gospel if you're going to go, you know, the full Monty on this thing, you know. All right. Well, I I think we've been going at this thing for uh, pretty close to two hours, and I know Tracy's got some work responsibilities, and um, I've got a lunch thing I've got to get to, so we have to start tying this thing up. But I think this has been pretty cool. You know, we didn't really know how this was going to go or what exactly we were going to talk about. You know, we just wanted it to kind of go, you know, organically as we always do. But I think that it has kind of gelled into a sort of single theme here between the two of you guys because again you know we've kind of got old school and i know i know paul you don't you don't like the old school here here. the old school no think of it this way there's an artisan um and and um artismal approach and then there's a diff whatever you want to call it digital i don't know linear it doesn't mean that it's art i mean i drink artisan coffee all that (laughs) means is the guy brews it and i mean he roasts it in small batches by hand when you see these uh great simulations of of um like it's cast plaster if you go into an art an italian building and you think that arch is cast but it's not it's painted it's flat that was an artisan that's not necessarily an artist you could be a craftsman but you it's serious to you you're an artisan it's not just a job and so what I get out of this is a thing that Wynton Marsalis talked about. You can talk about classical music. It's not old music. It's no more or less relevant than it is today. It just speaks to you differently. So very, very powerful. In this regard, it speaks to me in my time, how I'm, how I'm spending my time. It's got no value attached to it. But to say it's old school is kind of to me is like, yeah, that's the old way. You old codgers, you know, but hey, get with the program. No, well, it look, speaks to me, I, may and, not to you. And let me make it clear. I am not making a value judgment when I say old school versus new school because I 100% agree with everything you just said. It's for me just simply a, a term of convenience to – differentiate two different ways of expressing yourselves. I mean, you're doing it in the traditional way, if you want to call it that, by hand, off of off of paper drawings and and you know, you're carving you're carving it. Yeah, except I was I was also, you know, the majority of that model is is done old school as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. He started that, and yeah. you know, there's very there are di- there are digitally created things um, because of because that was the only way, in a way, to sort of to do them, um, and the opportunity was there to do it that way. And um, 
you know, I take as much pride in the fact that in those parts within the model as I do with something that I've done uh, digitally. Um, well, and ab- yeah, and absolutely, you should have you should because what I'm getting at is that regardless of how you got there, you guys both got to where you were because it, it's it's an expression of love. I mean, that might sound pretentious or whatever, but real craftsmanship, real artisanship, real artistry, whatever you want to call it, to me is all about love for the subject. And that's what I see from both of you guys is because you get so far down into it. And just listening to Paul talk about the shape of the layered super solution and, you know, David listening to you talk about the slope of the floor you don't go there if you don't love your subject. There's also the challenge that both of you see in it. You know, you, it's it's not a challenge like uh, you know walking to school uphill both ways. It's it's a challenge that you set for yourself. Where you're like, okay, I'll, this is something I want to accomplish, and you approach it with enthusiasm and and affection. Yeah, and but it's your own goal. You know, you you set these goals for yourself. Whether it's the goal of the whole, you know, I want to build a model of a scratch-built layered super solution. Or it's the smaller goals of, like, I want to get this fuselage curve just right. Or I want to make sure that the interior that I'm putting into this Panzer IV is accurate for this manufacturer and this uh, production model of the Panzer IV. Like, there's, it's what drives you, you know, and that's really contagious, to me, to, to listen to you guys talk about that and just be like, yes, yeah. Like, I, I've stolen so many little things that David Parker has done on that Panzer IV. <laughs> just straight up stolen them. Like the, the placard, the, the metal placard on the engine. Yeah. Where you, you know, you, you took a piece of metal tape and, and put a decal on it. And I was like, fuck, that is the easiest and best solution to, to do that. Yeah. I am, you know, and the, the Japanese diode that I did, you can't see it, but the loudspeaker has one of those little manufacturer's plaque where I cut out the metal tape yeah. and I put a little decal on it. Yeah. I straight up stole that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll steal anything I want from that. Cause yeah. it's just... And when he writes it up, he's going to claim it as his own. Here's a little solution that I came up with. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's, 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 I must admit that, that I love those little placards because they do look like little placards you know they're yeah. just um yeah. uh they just look because that's what the real things look like they're just in miniature and the great thing is you only have to be able to you only have to put a black print through your through your laser printer to get the decal bit that you need to to make it work so it's all it's it's can be easier really um yeah. Well, it gets easier at 135th scale where you can't really read it anyway, so it's just got to mimic the shape of the text. Yeah, it's a, yeah, almost like an impression of it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great, but it's, you know, I I love I love it when my friends succeed. You know, I absolutely do, and I love these little successes that I steal, like a little, <laughs> you know, little, little, little house elf just stealing what I want. But, you know, you, you guys, as you're... As we're following you along on these journeys, you're coming up with solutions that in some cases might be, okay, well, this is it. This is the like the placard. There, there's probably not going to be an easier, more authentic looking way to do it than that. 
Like you may have just stumbled across like, okay, this this is this is the easy, effective way to do this. And you know, same thing with the texture on the the leather seats. Just all these little things where I'm like, fuck, man, that's great. <laughs> like it's it it's it gives back to everybody in a, in a weird sort of way, you know. Yeah, I, I hope I hope I hope it does. You know, I hope people, you know, I, in my mind, I suppose I like to think that maybe there are some people out there who are watching what I've done and kind of and want to do it the same. You know, want to do the same in the way that. Um, you know, some of the great modelers of the past used to do that for me. You know, I would, I would pour over the the three pictures that were in color in the in the magazine of what they'd done and just kind of try to soak every little bit of information out of it um, to sort of learn as much as I could. And I, I don't think, I don't think you have to worry about that. I think both of you are, are very much inspirations for uh, for other modelers. So I think you will be for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I think, to me, if this whole, you know, two hours of conversation, uh, I mean, and hopefully it'll it'll edit out properly when we had some technical difficulties earlier. But, but I think to me, what this whole conversation has kind of boiled down to is the idea that 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 you should, at the end of the day, build yeah. your truth and. And whatever that truth is, love it, love it with everything you got. And and if that's the same as what David Parker or Paul Budzik or any other world class master is doing, then cool. But it doesn't have to be. It just has to be your truth, and you just have to love it. Yeah, and I, th- fun I with think it. that. But I think you've got to be honest, honest with it as well. You know, I think you need to be. You know, um, I think don't let yourself off. Don't go. Yeah, it's close enough, or that gaps. If you don't, you know. Yeah, don't cheat yourself. Somebody said something to me the other day. I said, oh, that's." I said, "That's the wrong shape." Oh, well, he said, it, will, "It won't be really visible in thirty fifth scale." And I thought, "Well, it is because I can see it." <laughs> <laughs> and I'll always see it forever yeah. if it's wrong. It it matters. It matters to me. I mean that old that old thing that people say. Well, I'll know it's there. Yes, you will. And if that's what and if that's what drives well, you, I think that's, that's really that's, all that matters. Thanks to the internet age, if you post it, so will everyone yeah. else. But I think you, you know sometimes you need to sort of just have a word with yourself about you know, um, like I've done that. I've sort of taken a shortcut with something, and then I thought I'm not happy with that because I know it's not right. You know, and I've 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 just let myself off with it. And um, I think, you know, I, Paul will probably sort of agree because in, in modeling that aer- that airplane is, is an airplane that Absolutely. probably now he knows better than just about anybody else because he's studying in that degree of detail necessary to build it. But, right. you know, in, you could he could justify making it parts of it any shape he wants because, he's, because nobody knows better than to, 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 to disagree with him. But the fact is, he's not going to do that because that's not what he's about. It's about representing the thing as it as it actually was, not kind of just taking a shortcut and chamfering this bottom corner because it makes his life easier at this point. It's about you know that that truth of accuracy. You know, if we're making a scale model, there's a difference between scale modeling and just you know generic model tank or generic model airplane. You know, and 
I, I, I think people should be a bit more sort of uh, firm about that and just go, well, yeah. I mean, not to the point of making life miserable for yourself, but I think, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you don't have a degree of realism about what you're doing and what you're representing, then, then, then all the barriers are down and you can do, you know, you can paint things any colour you want and, and make them any shape you want. But then it's not a scale model of a, you know, it's not a scale model of the Flying Scotsman if, uh, if you paint it pink. I think what David said about truth and honesty is a great point, and it's kind of like what I've been thinking about lately. You didn't omit something or whatever because you were lazy, or it might be because you couldn't do it. But if you could, or you just fobbed it off, then you're not being honest. You're not being truthful with yourself. What are you doing? I mean, what that says is that what you're spending time may not be as valuable to you as it could be. I mean, if all you're looking for is just to glue some parts together and you truly, truly are just happy with that, okay. But if you're trying for something else and you just say, no, you're not being honest. And I, and I think what David said is right to the heart of the Yeah, the I think that comes back to this, this whole rivet counter sort of thing again, where, which is thrown around in a disparaging way. But, but yeah, if you look at all the, all the great modelers, anybody you care to sort of pull out of the, from whatever genre of modeling, the truly great modelers are rivet counters. Absolutely. You know, that's why they're, that's why everybody, you know, esteems their work because they, they are paying that attention to detail, to finish, to color, to all the things that make a truly supreme scale model are as a result of that finickety attention to fit, to detail, to color, to all those things. Bring them together, then then that's what that's that's the end result. And they they didn't get there, and they don't get that result by shrugging a part off or forgetting about some detail or going well. I don't really it doesn't really matter. It's because they really care about the thing they're doing, and if you really care about it, then you want to do everything as well as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And the rivets don't necessarily. That doesn't mean literally the rivets or the shape or the technical (laughs) maybe for you (laughs) but you know like i mean like take when we talked when when we talked with with margot krombecker you know for her her version of rivet counting was all about highlights shadows and midtones in each and every fold of cloth it's whatever it is it's an obsession and so i i know what david is saying when he, you know, points out that it's often used as a pejorative because, you know, it is. But but it, it's just, you know, sorry people out there who don't like it. That's what it takes to become a master at your craft. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, it's um, uh, it's a phrase I'd like to see sort of stamped out really because, uh, you know, it's just... Yeah. Uh, um, 
is so kind of hypocritical in so many ways to sort of to you know and uh, you know I know, but you don't see you don't see you don't see these people working at that standard going around belittling people who aren't working at that standard. They're often there if they're if they're proffering advice or information. It's usually with a good intention to sort of help and assist or you know or, uh, it's not done to sort of. You know, and I think, you know, as Tracy said before, you quite often you end up just not saying anything because you think, well, I'm not, you know, <laughs> get kind of... It, it's, mm. it's almost worse because they, let's be honest, they don't have the balls to come to the people who are really, really excellent modelers and just say, well, you're a rivet counter. They don't have the balls to do that. What they do is they attack the people who aspire to be that good. They attack the people who are on their way, who are putting the time and effort into being as good as they can be, those are the people they attack. Yeah. And it's like, well, I, I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm trying the best I can. No, I'm not fucking David Parker, but am I copying David Parker? Yeah, I am. Because it's that's part of my journey to get there is to like, you know, we, you can't not wear your influences on your sleeve, but also at the same time, you can't, you can't just break somebody down, honestly, because they're better than you and they're not famous. Because you 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 know they don't have the balls to say it to people who are famous. I find it people say it to me, but I you know <laughs> it does. <laughs> I usually find it quite you know it's like a, a, a badge of honor for me. You know, yeah, damn right. I, I you know I make sure you know yeah. yeah. Um, I just wish there was an adequate retort because assembler doesn't really that cover it. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> that works. It's just, it's that always so works. Amateur. It's such fucking elementary school playground bullshit. Or, or the implication is. is that you're not having fun because that's the way you're working. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. That's the worst. Yeah. Well, yeah. I model for fun. Yeah. We well, all do. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun. Thanks. <laughs> I, I build. I build for me. I'm just in this yeah. for fun. Modeling. Yeah. modeling. What, do you, what do you think Paul yeah. Budzik's doing? Yeah. Mo- modeling is not exercise. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not a. Th- it's not like. It's not. <laughs> I think we could all agree. I don't think exercise is fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we clearly do this for fun. It's not a chore for us. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, okay, some of us get paid for it, but at the same time. Uh, we do it yeah, anyway. I mean, yeah, you know, it's not we don't do it to yeah, get right. paid. We just found a way yeah. to make it pay, right. but we do it because we love it. it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, absolutely. Yeah. I just like you making know what? things. If it, if it paid well enough that everybody was driving Lamborghinis, there'd be right. a lot few, pe- fewer people calling people rivet counters. That's true. They, <laughs> they'd be in line for the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some hard truth right there. All right, well, guys, this has been good fun, and I know Tracy is chomping at the bit. He's got to be at work. He's yeah, an adult. I've, I've got to go and polish my Lamborghini. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> that is a joke. All right. By the way. Well, <laughs> well, look, just don't. <laughs> before, before you, get I, you know, but I could see, I yeah. could see, I, I could see, I could see you rolling out in a Lambo, yeah, David. Yeah. You know, you've got I, the look. I, I, I haven't got the back though for getting in those low cars these days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what the world's just not going to be right if you don't pull up to world model expo in a lamborghini 
All right. Well, I just want to say thank you both so much for giving us your time today. I really do appreciate it. No, it's been an extreme pleasure. I mean, I I can't. And Chris, I can't thank you. uh, Well, you know what, Paul? So I don't have to pay you now, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) I I told you, it's not the money. (laughs) Oh, crap, I said that in front of David. (laughs) (laughs) Is that my agent on the phone? Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Second Lambda coming. Paul, it's going to be a real treat to read that book. Honestly, it is. I I think just the, the excitement that you're conveying... Uh, about writing it and, and what you're able to kind of come back and revisit. I think it's going to be something that a lot of people um, can relate to and, and, it, you know, be inspired by. Um, so. I've always had a, a, a bit of a bug of trying to do something a little different and, you know, I started this book a couple of times, and I, it's not me. I want to make it like you took a visit to my shop, and we're going to bullshit about <laughs> what, what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and that's why you came, because you're just looking at what I'm doing. I'm not giving you gospel. It's just like, well, what did you do? And then you walk away and you go, Maybe he's right on this or this, or he thinks this is good. Then maybe it doesn't fit for me. Well, you, I mean, that's, that, that's why artists visit museums, to be inspired, you know? You, you, walk, you may not walk away wanting to copy, you know, Waterhouse, but you might learn something about the way he applies paint or whatever. Like, a visit to a studio is a treat, man. Like, it's, it's being able to walk along beside somebody and have them show you what they're doing and, yeah. you know. Yeah, I got to see... Um... Gustav Klimt's brush strokes on a part-finished canvas the other the other weekend in uh, Vienna, and that was just the business. Wow! Yeah, really was, yeah, isn't it though? Yeah, yeah. Just it, I mean, it's even though it's not the same material that you're working with, like you see, getting the opportunity to see things like that, and getting the opportunity to talk to people who were at the top of their craft, like you just walk away inspired to do whatever the hell you do, like. You just walk away like wanting to right. be a little bit better than you walked in there, you know. I'm not having a go at the 3D guys, but when I can see someone's hand in something, I feel a real connection to the person that made it. If you see what I mean, well, it's we one 3D, of the reasons I like ceramics so much. We 3D guys see that as well, and and I have you know complete respect for it. But the surely, surely the thing is, whatever, however it's generated, you shouldn't be able to see the hand of anybody in it. That's a fair point. That might be a whole other. That, that might be a whole a whole other conversation. We don't have time for today. If you can tell handmade, then you've got a problem. <laughs> it depends. Well, no, what I it mean, is. in terms of model, yeah, yeah. in terms of scale model. If it's no, an engine manifold, of, yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to see it. Yeah. Or, or something. Yeah. Then, yeah, that's a different matter. But, but if it's a, yeah. you know, it's a racing car engine. Well, I suppose this is a modeling yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a testament to your hand scratch building, uh, David, that I, I don't think anyone looking into your Panzer IV could tell the difference between the 3D parts well, and the handmade hope parts. Not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, a compliment. Now he's worried about all the handmade parts. Yeah. I'm just worried about the big greasy f- 
That's the big greasy thumbprints on the engine deck that are concerning me most. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you not make a scale thumbprint? It has been done, yeah. I have done that, yeah. I've done dirty handprints on the... Well, actually, all around the breach has got uh, greasy, greasy handprints. Yeah, and that's that's some next level shit to try to tackle that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Breach and tackle? Anyone? Anyone? No. <laughs> no. no. All right. <laughs> that seems all like, right, that Tracy. Seems, yeah. Take that us seems out like of a here. great place for all of us to just shake our heads and walk away from this whole thing. <laughs> Drop the mic and turn away. Yeah. <laughs> great chat we have with paul and david absolutely there was some some gems in there nothing like having two master craftsmen talk about um about how they got there and 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 just drop these little tidbits of advice and and some a little bit of honesty you know a little little have a chat with yourself if you're not doing what you think you're capable of doing like um for me yeah it was it was quite interesting People who are on the path to, to just master their craft, it was really uh, pretty special to get to hear these guys talk about how they got where they are and to know they're they're not even at the top of their game yet. They're still they're still going. Yeah, I thought it was really cool to I don't know put it in in some sort of other terms that to me kind of make makes sense. Like to put it in Formula One terms, maybe that was like a. It, Jackie Stewart talking to Lewis Hamilton or something. I don't know. I mean, it was just really cool to see these two guys who really kind of come from two different eras of model making. And yet in so many ways, they're the same guy, you know, their sort of philosophy, their approach, their attitude was just so similar. And and I hope that really comes out um, in that conversation. I thought their approaches were both quite different. I mean, David, not just in terms of the technology, because David was an old school, you know, that phrase again, scratch builder <laughs> for, for a, two decades before he got into 3D. But David has gone very much down the route of uh, trying to add the ultimate detail, whereas Paul has decided he wants to simplify what he's doing and be more about shape and feel and less about the exact detail of everything. But they're both still like you say, master craftsmen, that they're, they're absolutely dedicated to achieving the best of what they can in what they want to do. Yeah, no compromising. I mean, they, they yeah, you can see that very clearly. That, that I thought was pretty fascinating. But also I feel neither of them is doing it to prove anything. You know, they're not, they're not showing off. They're just, they're doing it because they love it. They're doing it because that's what they want to well, do. They're on their own journey. Yeah, 100%. It's basically, this is what I want to accomplish, and I will not be satisfied with myself until I solve this problem, and zero fucks given about what anybody else thinks of it. 
I think one of my my favorite parts of the interview was when, um, yeah, I guess David Parker was saying, well, I mean, one thirty fifth scale isn't interesting to me anymore because I know I can do that. I can do everything it takes to make a one thirty fifth scale model to the best of my ability. And now he's shifted over to one sixteenth scale where he's get, he's given himself new challenges and he's able to to sort of you know like we talked about with textures and um, and things like that. He, he's really getting to do more of what he wants to do maybe in a small scale, uh, but the larger scale enables him to, you know, it's like he's painting on a bigger canvas, you know? Um, so it's interesting to hear that. To And I think both of them sort of alluded to like, well, we know what we can do. And we're not interested in really doing that anymore. We're interested in like continuing to push ourselves into the areas that present challenges for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that kind of, you know, that that's kind of a, of a, of a metaphor for this podcast. I mean, here we are uh, a year into it. I mean, can you guys believe it? I mean, we've, this, this is 24 episodes. We just kept doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm like, Chris, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big birthday guy and I don't get too wound up about the whole special occasion thing, but I think it's, you know, I mean, just to kind of reflect back on what we've done over the last 12 months, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. We've had some pretty cool conversations with some amazing craftsmen, some amazing model makers. Um, it just, I, you know, this has been a, this has been a rare pleasure for us. I hope it has been for the listeners as well. I know it's improved my modeling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. not in ways other people can see yet, but I know in the way I feel about it and the way I think yeah, the about way I think it. About it absolutely. The yeah, way I think yeah. about it, the way I view my own work is completely different. And don't get me wrong, I, I know these conversations between modelers happen. Like They happen at every major gathering, but we get to record it and we get <laughs> to share it with everybody. And I think that's the thing I, I'm really the proudest of this podcast uh, is that we're, we're not only able to have these conversations with these people, because that's what we want to do. We're doing that part for ourselves, but we're recording it and presenting it to people in the hopes that they're getting something out of it, too. And, and it, it feels good to be able to share those conversations with people. And it makes me wonder, like, how many, you know, pre-podcast days or, or just when people get together in a more relaxed setting and, and talk about modeling, like how much you miss, you know, how, how much uh, knowledge is shared. Um, and how many wacky anecdotes, but, <laughs> but at least we're able to share our conversations with people, which I, I really am happy about that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I, but I'll be honest for me, that's kind of a bonus because I've always looked at this thing kind of like back in the day when I was, when I was doing some paid photography and I got on board with one of the motocross magazines and that press pass you know, that was an inside ticket to hang out with my heroes. And right. I really kind of, I, I really kind of see this in the same way. You know, these are all guys whose work I've, I've admired from afar and just wished that I could, you know, get inside their head and, and, and see what I could learn and see how they tick. And for me, that's been the really cool part of it. And I would have done it even if it had always just been the three of us and whoever we were talking to. 
Um, but I hope everybody out there knows that we really are grateful for everybody who's decided to tune into our nonsense and put up with our shenanigans. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a bonus, but it's a really nice bonus. Yeah. I set out when I asked you to, we, we got together and discussed how we could do this and whether it was worth doing to make the show that I wanted to listen to. And I just really incredibly gratified that so many other people want to listen to it too because i don't want to flex about listing figures but they're pretty good so there's obviously a real appetite for this kind of conversation out there and i'm really grateful that that people are into that well let at the risk of of you know waxing maudlin let me also say that the (laughs) sort of unexpected benefit of this was getting to hang out with you two idiots at least you know once every (laughs) couple of weeks yeah, you know, yeah. it is. It's been it's been really cool, and you two guys have helped me with my model making. You know, um, I'm I'm grateful that I've been able to bounce stuff off you guys, and you guys have been, you know, like, nope, that doesn't work. Go back and do it again. And it's you know, but just to get to know both of you guys better, and uh, you know, this is something that has brightened my day uh, many times over the last year, and I'm looking forward to another year of it. Yeah. Yeah. What a lot of people don't realize is, you know, we, we, yeah, I mean, we're, we're good for each other's mental health. We've all ever, all three of us have, have, have reached out to the other two and just been like, man, I'm having a shit day. And, you know, sometimes we can uh, talk through it, but other times it's like, I'm having a shit day and I cannot wait to talk to you guys tomorrow because I know that that's going to change everything. And, and so many times it does. I'm, I, I don't think any of us come across as, uh, as grumpy while we're recording because I think whatever grumpiness. We do on the chat. <laughs> <laughs> not, not really grumpy though. You know? Speak for yourself. No, no, no. I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know that, uh, that my mood has been improved as soon as we all get together, uh, yeah, more more yeah. times than not. So I'm grateful for that. I always come downstairs from recording with a skip in my step, I have to say. That's because you're going to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say as well, I was a bit worried we'd run out of ideas and, and people to talk to and things to talk about by probably episode six. There's no danger of that. We're a year in and pff, still loads to do. We've got a list of people we want to ask on the show as long as your arm. Longer. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're going to have uh, an ad break there and then we'll be back with a very special interview with Alexei. Hi guys, it's Chris again, and I'm here to tell you all about the awesome photo etch stuff from Tetra Model Works. Tetra Model Works do everything from armor to aircraft to ships. They cover scales from 1700 to 1350 to 172nd to 148 to 135th and 132nd. New releases from Tetra include 
135th Mark 23 MTVR with armor protection, interior and exterior sets for the trumpeter kit, 172nd sets for the STL56 Francisca from Tacom, and M983 Hempt and M901 Launching Station with MIM-104 Pack 2 for Trumpeter. And 1700 sets for the PLA Navy Type 072A LST from Trumpeter and the 1700 Japanese light cruiser Yubari from Pit Road. All these and the highly popular sets for Russian, British, American and other armour and ships and those detail sets for aircraft are all available from your local Tetra Model Works dealer. Visit tetramodelworks.com to find out who your local dealer is today. Hey guys, Chris here from Inside the Armour. I'd like to tell you about a new book I've got coming soon called Modelling AFE Club Armour. In the book, we've got such great modellers as David Parker, John Murphy, David Chow, Jose Brito, Mark Neville, Ken Abrams, and myself, Chris Meddings. Subjects range from World War II to Cold War to current armoured fighting vehicles. The book will be launched at the World Model Expo show on the weekend of the 1st of July. However, pre-orders begin in the middle of June. Go to InsideTheArmour.com and sign up for our newsletter to make sure you don't miss your chance to pre-order. Okay, so next on, we're going to have uh, an interview with Alexei Belov from Proper Planes. Some of you will probably know that uh, Proper Plane is based in the Ukraine, and Alexei's here to tell us about his company, his situation, and, and how things are for them at the moment. Okay, so welcome, uh, Alexei Belov, all the way from Lviv. Yes. And thank you for coming to speak to us today. Could you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself and about your business proper plane? Okay. Hello, friends. Thank you for the opportunity to tell about myself and about proper plane. First of all, I uh, want to say sorry for my English because I got out of practice for uh, interview. Uh, but anyway, I hope I will manage it, and everything will be fine. It's okay. You speak you speak better English than Chris does. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. So I'm Alex Belov, and I live uh, with my wife Olga, with my two daughters, the dog and the cat in Lviv, uh, West Ukraine, and uh, I'm a scale modeler. Olga and I are running the proper plane company for five years already. And as far as I remember myself, I've been making different things, playing with uh, constructors, uh, making different uh, models. And uh, I have started from the uh, any 
paper applications, uh, different wood things, uh, woodworking. And my parents always supported me in this. My father was uh, fond of uh, woodworking at the time, and he taught me to, uh, to deal with the work with different instruments. Uh, he uh, also built uh, some scale models with me, and uh, it was very, very interesting for me, and I fall in love in scale models. And uh, I have built uh, my first uh, scale model without any support. When I was five, five or four years old, I don't remember it exactly, but I'm clearly uh, remember that it was Supermarine Attacker by Nov. It's a Soviet version of frog models. I think it was, uh, th there were much worse than uh, original uh, frog <laughs> models because they were made uh, in Soviet Union and uh, actually they were awful. <laughs> but they have nothing except, except them and uh, and uh, they were very, very cheap. Very cheap. Uh, I think I can spend uh, my my uh, money for any model, at, uh, and uh, it uh, it was uh, enough for any model. I, I can change one or three ice creams uh, for any model. But uh, uh, sometimes I was uh, lucky enough to get plastic art models. It was. Uh, as you remember, it was uh, East Germany company. Uh, the models was not uh, very uh, good, if we say about uh, the present standards. But uh, they were very colorful, and uh, there was uh, some paint to add, and they had very beautiful decal. Uh, unfortunately, now our uh, models hasn't got any decal. Uh, the first uh, model, as I said, was uh, Supermarket, uh, Supermarine uh, Attacker. And it, it was a very simple model, and I used my mother's set for nail care. I think uh, every everyone started from this. <laughs> took some people still use it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, some people <laughs> yes. still do. <laughs> uh, there, there is no uh, special instruments for this, and we used everything we had. And as far as I remember, the main problem was with the canopy. It was totally destroyed and uh, it was almost uh, melted by the glue. <laughs> Sounds like my first airplane. Yes, I tried to repair it for several times, but it uh, unfortunately was uh, unsuccessful. But it was a great experience uh, for me. And my parents tried to find any model they could uh, and as I have said, the best kit available in Soviet Union was plastic art, plastic art once. And but uh, in town where I lived in the time, they were very rare. Then, when I was twelve years old, I worked all my summer holidays to get some money, and I have bought the Matchbox Walrus. Do you remember this model? in 72nd scale. Yes. It was very, very beautiful plane and a very pretty model. 
and it was very expensive for me. I spent for it uh, uh, the fee for two months work for this uh, model. It's uh, quite funny to think about it now because <laughs> because uh, it, it was totally different money value uh, the time and now. Okay, so I have a, I have a question, and this is kind of a silly question, but I'm I'm just curious. What kind of job did you have when you were twelve? to earn earn money for that kit i worked as uh, a gardener something like gardener uh, i i keep the flowers uh and uh, i work in glass house they grow uh, the flowers and i have to keep these flowers every day i woke up at four uh o'clock uh, in the morning and go to the this job and came back home at uh, two or three o'clock uh, in the afternoon very cool that's dedicated that's dedicated you really wanted that matchbox kit. yes <laughs> yeah I, I i hate flowers for, from the time actually <laughs> so and i won the first prize uh, on the show the time uh, he, and uh, it's uh, inspired uh, uh, me to build uh, even better models. Uh, and uh, since the time I've got the different prizes on national shows and even I've got the Grand Prix uh, of the key scale model first in 2015. And um, by this time, it's the highest prize in I ever won. What did you build for that one? Uh, it was uh, zero. It's Tamiya uh, uh, 4880, uh, and I uh, spent about two years for this model, but it, it's the greatest model I ever uh, finished. It should be after two years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then... Uh, I made another model of uh, Super Marine Spitfire and uh, get the first prize uh, as well. Uh, and then I started to 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 make propellers for uh, for other modelers. <laughs> you were a marketing director, weren't you, at the time? Yes, uh, I, I was a marketing director for seventeen years. And uh, I worked at a big uh, company as a marketing director. And uh, when I uh, decided to start my own business, uh, I had to uh, drop this uh, job and uh, concentrate on my own business. Uh, it was very hard because my daughter uh, was born at the day when I decided to make propellers. <laughs> <laughs> Good timing. Uh, when I came to Olga and uh, said uh, here that I decided to make uh, propellers, she was very surprised and uh, she uh, said that it's a nice uh, idea. She supported me uh, in this and uh, she became my muse. That's very cool. Yes, uh, she, 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 she totally supported me and... Uh, uh, I, I, I have no problems with buying the new model. I come to Olga and say, have you decided what are you going to present me for my birthday? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and 
and show and show her the side of Wingland Wings or Tamiya something else. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> whatever you gotta whatever you gotta do, right? Uh, yes. And uh, she uh, uh, this uh, this uh, experience marketing and uh, uh, woodworking skills helped us to run our company for almost five years. And uh, as I said, uh, Olga has become my muse, and uh, she she's well known person in Ukraine um, dollar community. Uh, she escorts me uh, to all model shows and inspires me to my future endeavors. And I'm very very uh, grateful to hear for this. She, she helps me in my work, and she inspires me and. Uh, when I have um, a bad mood because uh, something goes uh, wrong, she uh, she changes it. She she's always support me in, in this. That's really nice. Yeah, that's it is. I mean, that's one of the most important things that anybody can have if they decide to to go into business for themselves as a supportive partner for sure. I know Tracy knows that. Chris too. I, I think it's very uh, difficult to uh, get me to the office because I used to work at home. I have a separate room for uh, proper playing. And uh, on the morning uh, after the cup of the coffee and after the meeting of the heads of the board, uh, we uh, uh, I, I go to, to, to my work to the next uh, room. Uh, where I um, make my propellers. And uh, Olga uh, uh, keeping the uh, documents and declarations and prepare for uh, post office. Mm. Uh, all, all, all boxes uh, she prepares uh, for posting. How did you come uh, to start uh, Proper Plane? Where did you get the idea for the, the uh, propellers? As I said, it was uh, uh, the day uh, where my second uh, daughter was born and I came outdoor from the hospital and I, I had a flash in my mind that uh, if I want to get more, I have changed my, uh, my job. And uh, first of all, I decided to make propellers because... Uh, it's uh, the most attractive part uh, of the model of the planes uh, which uh, were used in the First World War. And it's very difficult to paint uh, perfectly these uh, propellers and uh, it's uh, more easy to, uh, to carve it. Uh, I, I say more easy because I have made... Uh, several hundreds of these propellers <laughs> and it's it's very simple for me i think no 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 not simple but i used to and uh, i uh, i know uh, how to make them correctly and these propellers attract uh, more attention to the model and make any model more beautiful and attractive mm. and uh, uh, the always uh, more uh, look look uh, more interesting on the show than with the 
with the painted uh, propellers. And uh, since the time, I uh, Olga uh, allowed me to buy some sheets of veneer, and uh, I carved the propeller from this and show to the community. And as I remember, uh, it was accepted by the community very successfully. I, uh, uh, my, my friend, friends uh, supported me in this. Uh, one of my friend, uh, she's fighting uh, on the east of Ukraine, fighting against Russians. Uh, she uh, helped me to develop the logo for proper plane, and I'm very grateful to, to him. Can I say hello, Adam? I remember you, and I'm very grateful to you. Thank you, Adam. I've got a question. Um, I, I, I'm not really a World War One guy, but I agree with you completely about the beauty of the propeller because it's just right there. You know, it's one of the it's the first thing you see because you look at the engine, you look at the you know look at the whole front of the plane. And I've seen your work, and it's amazing. They're beautiful, and I think everybody's curious. Do you make each one by hand, or are you using a, a machine of some kind? I mean, it's. I don't want you to give away any trade secrets, but I'm curious. Uh, all my propellers are handmade. Wow, uh, they are handmade, and it's uh, the main problem of my business. Uh, I can uh, make only. Uh, fixed quality of the propellers. I can't force it and uh, make twice or three times more propellers than I can. Uh, every propeller need needs uh, their own time for uh, carbon. Uh, I use some grinders, but it's not CNC uh, equipment. Uh, it's not. Uh, different non-human uh, work it's only handmade it's with, impressive. with each lamination of the veneer do you have a, a piece that you trace so that that work goes more quickly or do you uh, sandwich it together in a, in a more rectangular form and then carve the propeller into shape um I, I, I first of all I I, uh, I glue the uh, veneers a piece of veneers uh, and after that I uh, cut uh, the these uh, propellers from this veneer and after that I carve with uh, grinder uh, each propeller I did it uh, with a knife at the start but uh, now I have very uh, powerful. Uh, grinder and I use it and uh, then polish it and uh, several layers of lacquer and uh, or uh, future pledge now it calls pledge it's uh, lacquer and uh, polishing several times it's very labor intensive yeah you know, how, considering how much work goes in you you don't charge a lot at all uh, yeah how, how long does how long does each one take i spent eight or even nine hours daily for current propellers every day and how long does each propeller take on average <laughs> 
it's hard to say but uh, quite quite much time yeah. it's not very uh, very fast work and unfortunately I have a cure for several months mm-hmm. uh, I can't uh, make uh, any propeller at once I, I need much time to uh, make the plywood the first then cutting and uh, preparing the propeller and uh, I have to dry each layer of lacquer and it takes uh, much much time and uh, now if uh, you want to order the propeller you will have to wait at least 19 weeks wow (laughs) I can't uh, make it uh, faster than one month so you basically make each one to order then yes i make uh, each one to order because it's more simple and i have a big queue for them and uh, actually sometimes i have no sample no any sample to show to somebody because every propeller uh, is being sent at once Mm. some of them has brass tips how do you make those oh it's uh very uh, interesting technology. I have a friend uh, which makes uh, photo etched, and he made me some uh, some parts with brass. And I made the special mold which helps me to form the profile of this uh, tip. And uh, each tip consists of two parts, the face and the rear. And I glue uh, each of them to each tip and then sanding, polishing, sanding, polishing, sanding, polishing. (laughs) This is like artisan (laughs) stuff. This is not mass production. (laughs) Yes. It's it's uh, unfortunately it's not mass production. Uh, mm. Yesterday I spent a day to add tips for three propellers. Wow! Three wow. three propellers were finished with the tips, and it uh, took one day working day. It's not very fast, unfortunately. But the results speak for themselves. Wow. They really do. Yes, I, I, I hope so. I uh, talked to my friends, which uh, works with 3D uh, and uh, CNC uh, equipment, and uh, I tried to realize, um, is it possible to make these uh, propellers uh, thematically? But uh, it, it is not uh, so easy, because when I make uh, each propeller, I uh, look at the the layer shapes and uh, compare with the photo of each propeller and I uh, have to keep every uh, layer uh, shape symmetrical. And if I uh, would use mm. CNC, uh, this symmetric would be lost, I think, because uh, each uh, wooden layer uh, could be different and this difference uh, could be very very small but uh, it would be enough to uh, to get unsymmetrical uh, propeller from CNC and unfortunately it's not easy to to get uh, from the CNC this propeller I have to work uh, by my hand 
Yeah, the, the 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 CAD database would have to be an exact reproduction of the of the real propeller, and I can imagine with the it's, stuff you're doing uh, being a hundred years old, that would be pretty hard to get. And you know, when you're working by eye, you can just make that judgment real yes. time. No, uh, I have to say that the bigger propellers would uh, not have this problem uh, because uh, the dimensions allow to. Uh, to avoid this, but uh, if I talk about uh, one to thirty second scale, I have to carve it uh, by my hands. Is it worth considering, like maybe a CNC operation to to do the rough cut, and then you come back and do the finishing by hand? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, I, I, I used to work. Uh, uh manually and i don't think uh, it, it would uh, help me uh, so much as i expected yeah sometimes you just have to do it that way that's that's yeah. the only yes. way yes and uh, now uh, i have to say that now uh, i produce about 47 propellers different kinds of propellers wow and uh, sometimes it it is more easy to make one propeller by hand than to make the cut model and uh, try to test it and uh, to finish it. It's it's easier to to make from the beginning by hands. Now you moved to Lviv. How long have you been there? Uh, I have moved uh, with my uh, family to leave last summer because my uh, daughter she's playing the violin she entered to the musician musical Lyceum in Lviv and we had to move from Kiev to Lviv because uh, she wants to be a professional musician and we decided uh, that I can uh, work in Lviv as efficiently as as uh, i can do it in kiev and we moved to lviv and it was quite lucky for us because when the war uh, started we were in lviv already and we uh, we are in safe from the beginning of the war i can say that it's not uh, very uh, absolute uh, safe place because uh, we have uh, the air raid alarms uh, several times a day and uh, we have to move to the shelter and uh, we have to wake our children in the night to to hide them in shelter but children on the east of ukraine are in real dangers yeah we see it we see it every day on on cnn on the news and I'm yeah. sure it doesn't do justice to how scary and uh, just absolutely horrific the conditions must be. Yes, it's very sad. But uh, when the war started, uh, Olga uh, has made a decision to stay in Ukraine and uh, she refused uh, to evacuate abroad. And uh, she continues to help me with proper plane and she helps uh, uh, the volunteers uh, and she helps to refugees. And we, uh, about 19 or 20 persons uh, were uh, lived in our flat in, in March. We helped them to, to hide. When they moved from 
the East to European Union, the height with us. And actually, as I said several times a day, we have uh, uh, we have to spend uh, hours in shelter because of uh, cruise missiles attack. And uh, actually, it made it makes me crazy because um, I can't work all the time, and I I have to sit. Uh, with uh, with my family and uh, I can't uh, fish, uh, efficiently work at the time. And another critical problem for us is as we uh, work and offer our products online, we critically depend uh, on post service. And uh, it seems these services became better, the terms of delivery uh, getting shorter uh, in compare uh, of the start of the war uh, and uh, actually we are very very grateful to our customers which accept uh, this with the understanding i'm very grateful for every everybody some partners uh, have stopped uh, their work Okay, they stopped their productions because of war, and uh, even several days ago, I was informed that uh, the workshop where some uh, proper plane parts were produced was uh, totally destroyed by airstrike heat. Uh, it wow. was, uh, and uh, now we. Uh, we have to stop selling uh, some products because no more, <laughs> no more products, and uh, we we don't know when we start uh, production again. Because uh, thank, thanks God, uh, nobody were injured during this attack, but uh, the molds and the equipment were totally destroyed. Unbelievable. I and I know you. You said you're on the western side of Ukraine, right? Yes. Um, in 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 Lviv, I, I'm just. I, I mean, I, I hope that this is not an inappropriate question. I what? Why are they attacking there? Like, what kind of targets are there that they feel uh, that they have to go after? Uh, it's it's simple. First of all, it's Russians. And uh, the second, uh, they trying to destroy the railway communications because the uh, arms and different products uh, are coming to our country from the West and everything is uh, uh, going through Lviv and they try to destroy the structure uh, of uh, the railway and uh, they try to hit uh, the railway stations uh, railway depot and different communications it's their strategy and uh, the the another problem that uh, they try to uh, to destroy our uh, uh, our export uh, communications uh, because as you know Ukraine exports to many agricultural uh, products and uh, they say that uh, 
we have enough uh, wheat for Ukraine, but uh, some countries of the world, uh, such as Egypt and Lebanon, uh, import too much wheat from Ukraine, and uh, they would have a great problem soon. And as you know, Russians blockade uh, all our seaports. We can use uh, our fleet to deliver the wheat to the different countries. They try to deliver it by the trains, and uh, Russians try to destroy uh, railway communications. So they try to hit different towns uh, all around the country. And actually, there is no safe place here. They are shooting with uh, cruise missiles from Black Sea and even from Caspian Sea. It's too far, but they they try to. So if you if you guys hear the air raid sirens, how much time do you have? Um, actually, uh, we try to hide in two, three, five minutes, and uh, uh, we, we we don't have. Uh, the real shelter, we hide in our house, in a bathroom, because there is, uh, there are no windows in it, and uh, we won't uh, have the glass enduring if something goes wrong. Uh, actually, if the missile hit the house, uh, it won't help, helps us. Uh, but we have no other choice. We have no real uh, shelter around here, or it's uh, a long way to there. And actually, it's very difficult to hide three or uh, four times a day every time running to the shelter uh, and uh, sit there for one or two hours. Usually these attacks uh, take one or even uh, two hours. Is it that the the Russians are just indiscriminately targeting or they're just flinging the missiles in the general direction and hoping for a hit? Or are they just not accurate when they've been, when they're that, you know, far to the end of their range? I, I mean, I'm just trying to understand why they would be, dropping cruise missiles on neighborhoods if they're trying to hit specific targets it just it just seems barbaric it is uh, uh, actually it is difficult to say uh, first of all i'm not uh, uh, a professional military expert i i, I it's hard to say from my uh, point of view but uh, I, I think that uh, they uh, really try to hit something uh, very important, but sometimes uh, the, uh, they try to the uh, toilet on the sea side, uh, as it was in Odessa several days ago. They spent one, uh, six or seven million dollars missile to hit the toilet. <laughs> it's very it's very clever, I think. Very important toilet. Uh, yes. Uh, it's totally destroyed. It's very small toilet. 
and it was totally <laughs> destroyed by uh, cruise missiles. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't know if uh, it uh, uh, helped uh, them to to invade our country, but uh, they did it. Okay. <laughs> It's going to be very, very inconvenient for someone. <laughs> Actually, uh, for example, they destroyed the uh, car uh, repair station in Lviv. It's about uh, three kilometers from our house and uh, six or several uh, civilians were killed during this attack. I don't think they wanted to hit this car repair station, but they did it. It's hard to say wow. what what uh, they have in their mind. I was just going to say, I can't help but think that this must have been at least a little bit what it was like in London during World War II with V1 attacks. Yes, uh, I, I, have, uh, I have several shots which were compared to London during the Second World uh, War and uh, present days in Kyiv. Actually, uh, we, have, uh, we have a flat in the center of Kyiv and uh, we thought that we lost it, but uh, fortunately everything is okay and the flat is, is okay and we have a place where we can come back to Kyiv if we decided to. But uh, I think uh, Catherine will be uh, studying here for another six or seven years. I hope so. Alexei, there will be a lot of people listening to this who, like all of us, are, are really uh, you know, affected by, by what you're telling us. How can people help? What can modelers listening to this or people listening to this show do? Uh, to help Ukraine? Yeah, actually, if, if, if we say about Ukrainians, uh, each, uh, each person try, tries to, uh, to do everything they can. We, uh, Olga, for example, uh, on the first uh, days of uh, invasion, Olga uh, cooked a big jar of the soup and we brought it to volunteers to feed the volunteers and uh, sometimes we uh, we uh, make different kind of uh, work for volunteers we spent uh, some money from the uh, proper plane orders uh, and we collect uh, this uh, money for uh, for the army and uh, there are uh, different volunteer uh, groups uh, in Ukraine now, which uh, know, uh, knows well uh, what the uh, needs of army and they try to find uh, the funds and try to find uh, the equipment uh, to, to bring it to, to, to the front line. And we help them to do this work. And uh, sometimes we have to help to our friends, which were taken to the war. Uh, we have uh, some friends which are fighting against, uh, against Russians at the moment. 
and we tried to help uh, them. Uh, we uh, tried to found uh, body plates, uh, night vision equipment, and different different kind of equipment, military equipment. And I have to uh, to uh, to say uh, thank you. We are very very grateful to our foreign customers because uh, I have been uh, I, I I have received uh, I think hundreds of letters from all over the world with uh, the words of support and even uh, even customers which bought some decals uh, some years ago they decided to to write a letter to support us in this situation and i'm very grateful uh, for this and now we know that we are not alone in this fight uh, in this fight with uh, the uh, the able T- no, tough tough question alexei but you are in your 40s you've got a family you've got a business is there a a chance that you yourself would be called up to have to go and and fight? Uh, actually, I I don't uh, I don't uh, know exactly, but in this case, we have a plan to uh, for for my uh, my family to move to abroad because. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, they would be safe here without uh, my uh, support because uh, unfortunately Olga cannot uh, carve propellers and uh, we we would have to stop proper plane in this uh, case. Um, so people listening can help you by ordering from proper plane, yeah? Uh, Yes, I, and uh, I'm very, as I said, I'm very grateful for this. Um, actually, as I said, that my daughters suffer from from this war, and uh, now, even now, they uh, they are not uh, free to attend school and kindergarten, and uh, they have a problem with the communication with the peers and. Uh, the they have, as I said, uh, they have to hide in shelters from Russian missiles. And uh, I uh, actually I don't want them to go through it, but we have no choice. We have to help here, and Olga has decided to to stay here with me to support me, and. Uh, uh, if the things uh, goes go wrong, we 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 would uh, have to to, be, to evacuate them abroad. Mm. We we love our uh, homeland very much, but we will have to to take this decision to to save their lives and uh, to to stay insane. It puts a lot of things in perspective, you know, for, for those of us who are so far away from the conflict, 
and don't have to deal with these things on a day-to-day basis. You know, it makes the silly things that we get frustrated about with our own lives seem yes, just extremely insignificant. And uh, I just, I just have to say, I really admire your courage and your resilience. You know, your resolve. Uh, everybody uh, demonstrate uh, their best or different sides of their soul. And actually, we, we had uh, uh, very great plans for this year. We wanted to visit uh, to different shows. We wanted to show and to, to uh, uh, release uh, new products. But now... As you know, uh, they don't allow uh, Ukrainian men to cross the border, and we have to to stay uh, home. We can't cross the border even for uh, business purposes, and we can't uh, visit any show. Uh, but I, I really hope we would uh, meet next year, uh, and. Uh, and definitely we will drink a lot of beer and we <laughs> hug each other and shake hands and uh, I will have the opportunity to thank uh, to, to say thank you to each our uh, customer which didn't drop us in this situation and which found the words of support uh, to us. In this situation and uh, guys i i want to to thank you for the uh, job you have done and you continue to do uh, for us and uh, we know that we are not alone and it's very important for us uh, in our struggle for uh, independence from russia and it inspires us to keep strong and and carry uh, our fight on. Uh, we, it's a small thing, but we, you know, we, uh, we just want to help, so we'll do whatever we can. As they say, the the small uh, the small thing make uh, a big uh, result, and uh, everybody uh, uh, make our uh, victory clothing we know you'll win and we can't wait to to meet you alexa i do hope that uh the victory is closer to us day by day mm. yes well you guys are giving them hell man i don't think the russians expected it to be what they're getting and you just have to know i, I have say that uh, i i uh, uh, I don't expect Ukrainians can do it, <laughs> actually. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't expect uh, Ukrainian uh, raised for the struggle, and the Ukrainian um, are so brave. It's very. Um, uh, it inspires when I see how young people drop. Uh, drop everything and uh, go to the war or, or to, to fight uh, against enemies. 
Alexa, is there any message you'd like to give to listeners? Anything you'd like to say to them direct? Uh, as I say, I want to to say thank you, guys. Thanks everybody who helps us and who support us. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to to do our silly little podcast. Um, I mean, I you've got way more important things to think about, and so we really actually. I I would prefer to carve uh, the propels all my life uh, and not to fight with with Russians. But uh, it's uh, it was not my decision <laughs> to to invade neighbor country. I don't understand uh, why they are doing this. I don't understand why. I don't think any of us do. No, we're we're all very happy that you're uh, as safe as you can be where you are, and we will continue to to send good thoughts your way for your safety and for the success of Ukraine. Thank you, Alexei. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I think uh, we can all agree that was uh, heavy. Some very serious stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that was heavy shit, um, and uh, that hit, that hit pretty hard. I, I, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of went into it just thinking, okay, we're going to have a conversation with this guy about his model making company and. You know, it suddenly occurred to me while he was talking about the cruise missiles that this guy could get blown up right now while we're talking to him. That's how serious this shit is. And that really puts things in perspective. The fact that he, you know, he relies on on this, what to so many of us is a hobby and we've spoken to so many people who have taken this on as their their job but it strikes it in a different way where where you've got somebody who's really relying on this hobby for their their life yeah um it just it was a a more different conversation than i expected going into it i'm grateful that we had it and i'm grateful that we are being able to present it to people um, because it's, uh, it, like, like we said, it, it put things, it puts things in perspective, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I have to admit, I kind of knew what kind of conversation it was going to be because I've been chatting to Alexei for a, a few weeks. Um, but I really wanted listeners to know what that conversation is and, and what's happening. And, you know, we did the models for Ukraine book and I, we will talk about it a lot, but it's different talking to someone who's there and it's different hearing what it's really like. Dude. I mean, I, you know, I see this stuff on CNN every morning and I'm just flabbergasted at the level of destruction and, and, it, but none of that hits me as hard as that conversation we just had. Hmm. It's a whole different wow. deal when you're when you're talking to somebody who's right there and you realize they are living this. It's not, you know, 7,000 miles away for them. They are living the situation. 
and to have them thank you for what you've done with a book, you know, and then yeah. the proceeds, like to have somebody that you know, uh, you know, th- these are the people that, that this book has helped to have them like look you in the eye and, and thank you for it. I'll be honest, if it was me, I'd be like, yeah, the book's great and everything, but can you not just, you know, come over and help or something? <laughs> Somehow feel... the book seems like really like insignificant and, and anything you do like that feels so insignificant. I feel, I feel, I felt guilty when he said that. Cause I'm like, I didn't do shit, dude. I, I, I can't, I can't help you. you know, I can, it's not I... just the book he's talking about though. He's talking about the fact that we're, we're talking about this to people when we're keeping them, keeping it in their mind. Something I've been worried about lately. I, I know this is a scale modeling podcast. I'm sorry if people think this is politics, but also screw you. I don't care. You know, uh, I do worry after a while you get this with everything that it's uh, people get kind of compassion fatigue and that it's maybe moving out of people's minds. And I just, you know, it's still happening. It's still bad. It's still going on. Yeah. hundred percent. And if, look, if this episode, if this interview is too hard for, for you, yeah, come on, get your shit together. Cause what really, or if it's too hard for you, ask yourself if it's too hard because you know, you could, help and you're not and we have to say to bring it back to the fact this is a modeling podcast these are you know there are so many people in this hobby that we know and you've probably bought a kit at some point that comes from ukraine so this isn't some distant thing this is people you're connected to maybe it's some sort of remove but you're still you know I know I've got a wingnut wing sup with camel in my stash and I will be ordering a propeller for it and I don't give a shit if I ever get it. I've ordered some and I'm not in any urgent um, plan to build them. I just thought, you know, (laughs) I'll order it now. If it takes six months, if it never comes, doesn't matter. It might come, you know. That being said, I've ordered some things from Ukraine and at the moment it's taking four to six weeks. So you will, you know, if you want your stuff, you'll still get your stuff, but your money will help. And um, Alexei didn't mention it this time, but we spoke about it earlier. I think he said nearly every business, model business in Ukraine is taking the money that we send them for kits and what have you uh, and using it to help people. So, you know, it sounds crazy telling you to buy kits to help, but the money will go to people who need it, and it does help. Hardcore stuff, but, you know, that's what we decided we wanted to do with this podcast. We want to keep it real at all times, and I don't, I don't think it gets more real than that. No, it's been, you know, we've, we've certainly brought you two very different things with this anniversary episode, but that's what we wanted to do. Uh, you know, we want... We wanted to talk about the hobby, but we also wanted to talk about, you know, people in the hobby who are, who are, have their lives in jeopardy. I mean, it's our show. We'll do what we want. And that's what we wanted to do. All right, guys. On that note, should we say goodbye? Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. You'll hear us on the next episode of the Sprue Cutters Union. Take care. Adios. Good night.